What you're about to hear is a discussion about personal experience with cancer. We're not medical professionals, and at no point are we making recommendations for diagnosis, treatment, nor care. All opinions are highly personal as each individual experiences mental and physical side effects of cancer and cancer treatments differently. We're only here to listen, discuss, and break the social taboo of cancer. Okay, guys, so we are here. How long? This has been like a year in the making. Are we starting? Yeah. Yeah, Oh, sorry. (laughs) Way to ruin it. You're just like casually having a conversation with me. We're keeping that in here. Uh, uh, At least. I think, yeah, I think when we sat down and talked, it was at least a year ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think um, we can kind of just jump right into like what it is we're talking about. But you, um, when did you get your diagnosis? So early 2020. I think it was February, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. At that point, it was just like diagnosed with a lump. It wasn't really like conclusive, like what mm-hmm. it was or the severity, obviously. Um, but yeah, it was like February 2020, right before COVID. Yeah. So that's what we'll be talking about. And we're here with Avery as well, Desiree's boyfriend, who was her boyfriend throughout this entire process. I'm the boyfriend. <laughs> fiance now. I'm the fiance. <laughs> yeah, oh my God, how could I forget? Yeah, yeah actually, I'm not wearing my ring, but great. Sorry. That's <laughs> how important of a fiance I am. We're fianced, as I've yeah, been saying. Yeah. Um, so we're going to cover a, a number of things from like day one of diagnosis or like potential diagnosis to where we are today. Um, so I think what would be really um, good to understand is that first part of like, how did you even begin to think that you might have cancer? Or like, what was that process? Like, when was the first day of like this new life? Um, yeah, it's crazy because I feel like it t- took a long time for the new life part to set in because um, there's just a lot of denial involved. I think it's hard to imagine yourself in like that full force situation until you're like actually in the midst of it. But um, I think I found it in the shower or like something like I think I found it myself, but I just didn't really think that it was anything because I don't know, boobs are weird and like they change all the time with periods and like whatever. So I just kind of like ignored it. I think I mentioned it to Avery, yeah. but um I didn't like I wasn't worried that it was anything. What did it feel like? It was like a hard like like lump, but it was kind of weird because it wasn't like just like it wasn't like a like a ball like sticking out or something. It was just like in very inside and it was kind of like a long thing. So it was kind of hard to tell. It wasn't clearly like a tumor, you know what I mean? But it was it was hard in like a different way. Well, that's yeah, see that's your experience because I think it was you that was like I think this is weird. Like you're the one that kind of yeah, prompted it that. Well, you found it in the shower and then either a day later or it might have even been that night you said like can you feel this which i said yeah and when you you had to like place my hand on it to find it cuz it was sort of like closer to your ribs like your your chest plate and then it what was weird about it to me what struck me as strange is that it it just like didn't move like it was just fixed and it was there and it was like hard yeah. and like whereas i don't know it just because of how fixed it was to your to your breastplate and like in that area that was what was strange to me and it it was 
considerably big like yeah, at, it was that, big. at that point <laughs> like it was kind of like touching a golf ball like half of a golf ball almost or like an oddly shaped golf ball it was big yeah yeah and but you were definitely more concerned than me and i think it's i mean you like touch my boobs more than me so yeah i do <laughs> for, for, for the record i do yeah <laughs> so i think you yeah you were just more like and i'm also just the kind of person to be like Uh, I don't want to think about this. Like, let's just do something else. Let's talk about something else. And you were a little bit more like, you should like go to the doctor. How infuriating was that, Avery? Which part? (laughs) The part of her being like, I don't want to think about that. (laughs) Well, (laughs) as we get deeper into the story, that was definitely like a, it wasn't even a tension. It was just that like, I'm someone who, if there's anything, it's just the way I am. If there's anything wrong, I have to instantly fix it. Like I won't sit on it. And it was really annoying for me because like, I was like, go get this taken care of tomorrow. And the urgency for me was just that I grew up around a lot of health things. Like my sister was a type one diabetic early. My grandfather went through a lot of health situations. And like, I always had it in me. Like you just take care of it right away. You don't wait. Time is not your friend in those scenarios. But I think there's also an element of like not wanting to know, like not wanting to deal with it, you know? So. Yeah. But it, it was a key polar opposite for us yeah where i was just like go and go and get this looked at and it's not like i can't force you to do it it's not my body so mm-hmm. but yeah you you did but we were in this transition right of we were settled we were settled at this point in toronto but like when you move you uproot all your doctors right and everything and you were still well i had a doctor but she was not a very good doctor and, and just like sorry just for context yeah. you guys had moved from winnipeg to toronto yeah. And when did, when is it that you moved again? 2016. So we'd been in Toronto for like four years mm-hmm. at this mm-hmm. point. But I think I'd only had a doctor for probably a year. Mm-hmm. And it's hard, it's hard to find when you move to a big yeah. city. Like you you don't know like where you get a like I just we just Googled. Like yeah. you know, and like you call someone and say, Oh no, we're not accepting new patients. Like I hear that a lot. That it's really hard to get I mean, I don't even think I don't really have a family doctor, but I think every time you try to get one, they're like, We're not taking patients. Down yeah. to like the street that I was living on, they had a huge banner that said there was like a <laughs> photo of a doctor and it said their name and it was like, They're accepting patients. And I was yeah. like, This feels really weird that this is how well, we get doctors. It, even our yeah. like current family doctor, like everyone in my house, because we have two roommates, go to the same doctor. And she current she recently just dropped a bunch of patients. So like our roommate got like a call being like, Oh, by the way, like sorry, you're no longer a patient. You've been dumped. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, Well, they can't dump me. <laughs> yeah, but it is it like it is important to have a family doctor for yeah. this reason because like we we didn't have like a strong person in an, in our corner. Right. And Though, like Yeah. I think it's hard to find a good one though, because even now I don't really think that we would have that. But yeah, but some, I mean, like the doctor you had in Winnipeg, right? Was like yeah, with you since a child, right? Yeah. Like there's, I don't know. There's just this feeling that someone's going to hold your hand medically through this when you have that doctor. And anyways, you, you went, you were in, you were, ha- you had a doctor, you went and asked for like. So how long did it take you to start like addressing this? Um, so I made a doctor's appointment. I definitely wasn't rushing anything. Because I just, again, I wasn't that worried, honestly. And I think I just didn't want to think about it. So I went to the doctor probably after like a couple weeks. And then I I showed her and she said, oh, it's definitely nothing. But like, I'll give you 
I think she gave me, I think she might have given me a requisition. I'm not sure. She did. A requisition is like basically to go get a scan. So they have to like give you, um, like they, they basically make the appointment for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, or they give you like a piece of paper, they give you a paper basically saying that you can have this appointment, but then you have to call and like book and make the appointment yourself. Okay. So, which is also an interesting gap here. Yeah. That the emphasis is on the patient to go and book their scan, which is not. You have to be to, very in control of all your stuff, which it, I didn't know. Yeah. And, and, and going I, into it. That was a contributing factor also for the delay of figuring this out because it's like, oh, great, you're super busy, you know, doing your thing. Now you got to add this on top of it versus just someone saying, we'll get you in for a scan. This, even though this, we think this is nothing, let's let us take care of it. So that was sort of odd. For sure. And also, like, Des, you're not a medical professional. No. So <laughs> even just, like, the thought of having to make an appointment sometimes is, like, daunting. Yeah, yeah. totally. So and, I can and, see that. Yeah, thing. and it's not clear. It's, like, they they give you a sheet with, like, I don't even I, – I don't even think it had, like, phone numbers or locations on it. You, I had to, like – I remember trying to find where to go to, like, do it, and I couldn't figure it out, which, me, I mean, that we're forward tracking a little bit, but I ended up – in the medical system in Mississauga because I like didn't know that I could get a scan in Toronto, which is like maybe stupid on my part. But like I called someone and they said like if you're gonna if you're trying to get a scan in Toronto, it's gonna take you like months. But I can send you to Mississauga and you'll get it in like a week. And so, so okay, so you got your medical scan in Mississauga because I'd love to know like what that means for like the rest of your process. But like, so this was doctor number one. She sent you. Well, I got a requisition. Okay. I didn't go. For an ultrasound though. For an ultrasound. I didn't go because I, because I want, because I wanted to switch doctors. So I switched doctors, showed my new doctor, and then she gave me another requisition. She had a similar kind of, um, like response, but she was a little bit more like, go get checked out. Mm -hmm. So I think because of her urgency, like I, I booked it. Um, and yeah, so I ended up in mississauga and i did the ultrasound and yeah i'd never had an ultrasound before it's not comfortable they like smash your boob with that thing it really hurts and uh yeah from that appointment the ultrasound is the one where they put like a cool gel and then they like roll something on you yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's like a big tv remote type thing thing. yeah Yeah, exactly just like squish it down did it hurt yeah yeah it did not like terror i mean yeah it's very uncomfortable mm-hmm. but um i remember going to that appointment and one thing that i thought was like endearing was because it's all very clinical right and cold and i going i went into the ultrasound room and like lied down on the bed and i looked up and there was like someone put like a sticker of like a bird like right above where you like looking and I was like oh that's like really cute that someone would think to do that you know so it made me feel a little bit better but and then I was like they should paint murals or something on the ceiling to like make it a little bit more like vibrant like wouldn't that be nice but anyways I feel like and I don't know if this was in my head but I feel like I got a vibe from that appointment that like something was weird like the ultrasound technician can't tell you anything they wait for your doctor um but I just like got a vibe I think I came home and like told you that you did yeah cuz now at this point it was maybe a couple months um 
Yeah, like, there but, was a lot of things in between. Like there was yeah, to get the new doctor. To and we were really busy with work, yeah, and totally. it was Christmas. So I think by the time I actually got the, I like I went. I think I was going to these doctor's appointments in like October. And then by the time I actually had the appointment, I think it was January. So the ultrasound was like in January. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then how long did it take to get results? Well, from that, they were like, okay, there's something weird. But they it was they didn't tell me anything. They were just like, we kind of have inclusive conclusive results, so we want you to go get a mammogram. So then I had to get a mammogram. Haven't had a mammogram before. Also extremely uncomfortable, worse than an ultrasound. What's that like? So you Basically, you you're it's standing. You're standing, and you like put your boob on like a plate, which is already weird. Like you know, if you don't have huge boobs, like that's hard to do. Um, and then you basically like this thing machine comes and like squishes your boob like as much as possible. So like it literally feels like your boob is gonna like pop open. Like it's terrible. But so like your boob is on a flat plate. plate that it's supposed to be resting on and then yeah. two more plates squeeze it from the left and right side yes exactly okay I'm and then there's one that's like like they it flattens it top and like, bottom top and pot is yeah. it like two separate things or does it all happen yeah. at the same time oh geez yeah so you you have to do it like three four times oh my God. sometimes um from different like angles and then yeah they're basically just taking like pictures of your boob so I had one mammogram and then they were like, oh, we don't really know. We need to do it again. So then I had to go for another mammogram. <laughs> and then <laughs> one thing that you kind of learn through all of this is that it's very, it feels very um, pr- primitive, if that's the right word, like rudimentary. It feels like we should have better pr- ways of doing all of this because so often it's like, oh, we didn't get a good result from that test. Like we need to do it again. Like that happens so many times and it sucks. But yeah, so I had I did two mammograms and then they scheduled me for a biopsy, which was an interesting experience <laughs> also. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so that appointment, I don't think you were with, no, I, my friend came with me because Avery was working. And at this point he was coming with me to most of my appointments because uh, COVID ha- hadn't fully taken effect yet. But this one, my friend came, um, and again, like, I had no idea what was involved. I didn't even know what a biopsy was, so I didn't realize that it was just, like, ripping flesh out of your body. Like, I didn't know, <laughs> like, I had no idea what was going to happen. So I went in with, like, a very naive blindness to everything, which I actually think kind kind of helped me get through everything because I didn't know what to expect. Um, but I remember walking into the room and just seeing, like, a table with like a hole in it (laughs) and I was like okay what like what is this like what do I have to do and then the nurse was like oh yeah okay like lie down on the bed and put your boob in the hole (laughs) like like, even that is so primitive you know what I mean like yeah (laughs) here's this table Mm -hmm. and I was like okay and then so you like lie down on the thing with your boob in the hole it's already like weird and then they like it's like electronic so they like raise up the bed and then the doctor comes and like sits under you so like my boob is like in his face and then and then they literally they take like a I guess it's like a needle like a big needle but it seems like a bigger instrument cuz I didn't actually see it I only heard what was happening cuz it was all under me like with the bed in the was, way Was it the gun? Yeah, but like I a, think it's, it's like, like a, a needle. It's yeah, like it's a, a spring-loaded. spring-loaded gun with a big core needle in it that yeah. basically shoots in you, grabs a sample, pulls it out. Yeah. 
Yeah. So. Did you get any sort of like numbing anything? Yeah, they numb like the area. Mm-hmm. Um, they numb the area, but they don't like. I mean, you're awake. It's not like you're put to sleep yeah. or anything. It's just like local anesthesia. So I didn't. I didn't feel. I don't remember feeling like a lot of pain or anything, which was good. But it, I just remember the sound because it was like a hole punch, like <laughs> like a loud, like a gun. And uh, they they had to take five samples, so they did it five times. <laughs> so it's literally yeah. them poking like five holes into your boob and just taking skin out. Yeah, I think they kind of go into the same hole and then just like move it around and oh. like, take different. Um, but yeah, it's like the gun, like five times. And then, um, yeah, and then I was like, oh, well, that was, like, wild. (laughs) I just remember thinking that. And then I remember, like, sitting up and just, like, blood, like, pouring out. (laughs) And the nurse was like, oh, sorry, like, here's more more bandages. I was like, this is normal? Like, this seems, like, really crazy. But whatever. So, yeah, that was my first experience with the biopsy. And then I just remember being kind of like, okay, that was wild. And then leaving and uh waiting again and i think that was the last appointment that i had before finding out yeah yeah i don't think i had anything else no and also like when doctors say it's biopsy time then like alarms kind of go off too yeah because like now you know that they're so unsure of what they're seeing that they have to take the next step of like Mm. something invasive right no i think i had to do two two biopsies yeah, yeah you think- did one after the oh appointment. after yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. this is why I'm here <laughs> I, I I do the timeline yeah I have a bad memory <laughs> did that leave a scar the the biopsy gun thing um it's hard to tell because I have a scar from like the lumpectomy it so- did it did though at the time did it yeah. yes it did because I, I I know yeah. well I'm assuming because right. all the bleeding too yeah probably. and because <laughs> and because you got it twice right yeah yeah so but. So after the biopsy, how long did it take for you guys to get any results or like get a call or anything? Everything then started happening. Like they do book you pretty fast. So I think I had my my first ultrasound sometime in January. And then I was at my like follow-up appointment with the doctor on February 4th. After so, the biopsy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. It was about a week. A week to 10 days is the biopsy results. Yeah. 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 And then – um yeah, and then that was like a crazy day because I still didn't even think that anything was wrong, which is kind of crazy. What was getting results like? Did you get a phone call? So I think they just, I think it, I guess it was probably a phone call that the, that we got just to say like you have an appointment now with like a doctor, but I didn't know that it was an oncologist. Like I just knew that it was like an appointment. I had no idea what was happening in that appointment. I assumed that I was just that I was getting my results at this point. Hopefully after all of these tests. Um, But, yeah, I still was very, like, naive to what was going on. Like, I didn't fully understand that, like, yeah, if you're doing all these tests, something is probably wrong. Um, I was just kind of like, oh, maybe it's just, like, a growth, you know. So we went to that appointment. Avery was with me at that one. And, yeah, like, I I didn't really understand that I was in, like, a breast cancer clinic to me, it was just like, oh, I'm in a doctor's office, not knowing that I'm literally surrounded by people like waiting to find out or women waiting to find out that if they have if they have cancer or not. Um, and it's funny because before going into the room 
to find out and coming out, the experience of that waiting room was like so different. I was so naive to everything before going in. And then after coming out, like I realized that, like, for example, when they gave me my uh, diagnosis, I guess it was kind of a diagnosis. They give you like this blue folder and I remember coming out of the room and then noticing like all these other people with blue folders. And I was like, oh my God, this means that like they have cancer too. Like that's crazy. So it was kind of like this weird like bonding, but like, I don't know, thing I could like identify other people or other women like that were going through this. But yeah, so we went into the room and then the oncologist came in and she just started talking like super fast, like I don't know. The bedside. Avery, did you get to be in that room as well? I did. Yeah, I was. I was there for this appointment. Yeah, Avery was there. So, um, I was sitting on like a like the bed, the, the examination like table or whatever, and then Avery was sitting in a chair. And I just remember her coming in, talking super fast. I don't. I to this day, like I don't remember what she said. I just remember like keywords. I remember like breast cancer and like she said cancer I think like tumor chemotherapy like literally all the keywords of cancer and I was Doc- just like ductal carcinoma mi- yeah micro invasions <laughs> like yeah. yeah you're just getting bombed with all these terms yeah and I'm just like I still don't even know what's going on like literally all that was going through my head was like I'm like gonna die like that's like what is happening right now like I, that's all I could think of and then she could tell that I was getting like a like kind of emotional and I was like definitely like zoning out from what she was saying so she was just like okay I'm just gonna like give you guys a minute like I'll be right back they send in like a counselor type of like person with like your information and stuff but so she left the room and then like uh I don't know I think you were pretty I mean you can talk on your experience but I mean first of all the week leading up to a biopsy diagnosis is extremely stressful. I think and you were more stressed than me. I was. <laughs> I was for sure because I just had this feeling like yeah. that something was was wrong just mm-hmm. because of all these steps and how you kept needing more tests and like we were nervous in the waiting room before we knew, but there it was like a a funny nervousness like oh it's so funny we're here and look everyone around us is like 70 80 years old what are we doing here we're i think young. that's one of the key things of this too because you guys are like what are your ages again uh you're, t- you're 29 right i was 29 yeah. when i was diagnosed yeah right i was 28 mm-hmm. yeah and it was like that was the first thing that i noticed was just like holy shit like we are so like young like everyone in here is very old and and even the people like the, some of the women it was like you could tell it was like someone's grandmother who was with their mother and like it was very odd we've st- stuck out like a sore thumb in there but you know it, it we were just nervous waiting to get in and then by the time we finally got in i was really agitated and kind of pissed off because you know you're waiting for like an hour and a half for these results it's not just like okay you finally have made it to this this final step we're going to give you this information it's like no you're going to wait in this waiting room for an hour and a half. Then we're going to put you in this smaller room with worse lighting, no <laughs> fo- no landscape photos, nothing to look at, and you're going to be even more nervous and we're going to make you wait in there for another like half an hour. And then finally, actually what happened was you went to get up to go to the washroom because we'd been waiting for so long and you're like, oh, I just, I, I'm going to go to the washroom. And as soon as you opened the door, she came in. 
So you were like, ah, oh, like, yeah, caught off guard. That, you remember yeah. that? Yeah. And then, so she like backs her in and is like, don't go anywhere, which was also sort of a, an alarm thing of her being like, don't go anywhere. You got to stay here for what I'm about to tell you. So then she came in and she sort of just very, she had this like intense intelligence to her where I could tell she just like wasn't going to look at us in the eye. Like she was just going to look down at what she had to say to yeah. deliver this news. So she was like, so you've had an ultrasound. We don't have that ultrasound here. I'll make sure to get that. You've had a mammogram and a biopsy. Um, the results of the biopsy um, were that you have DCIS, ductal carcinoma with some micro invasions of precancerous cells. What? Like just that's it. Like she'll well, just- it's like you don't even know how to like decode this you know this language when like i'm not familiar at all with like the medical system or medical terms or like you know names of illnesses so like to me that didn't mean anything i was like what is that like and like putting like now i can put myself in her shoes you know a couple years later where it's like okay i get it like you're doing this every day you're not gonna have bedside manner when you do this you're probably going to tell six or seven people that day what's going on. I still take issue with that, though, because you're still telling very many people, like other humans, yeah. this every day. So I do feel like that there should be some level of like humanity, at least, to yeah. the explanation. And some doctors are better at that than others. That's the thing. It's not like it's impossible. Like, But think of the reaction that you're going to get from that person, too. Like, they're obviously... Well, it's a lot of heavy emotions to, like, take in all the time, I'm sure. So, she hits us with this. And once once she says, like, ductal carcinoma, microinvasions, precancerous, like... I just kept saying, like, does she have cancer? Like, yeah, like, we didn't like we we, we, couldn't. we couldn't get an answer yeah. really from her, and she's like, I don't know. We need to do more tests and more biopsies. But what I can tell you is, there's a mass. The first biopsy of the mass showed that it wasn't cancerous. That it was there was just precancerous cells that were spreading from out of the mass towards the nipple in the duct that leads to the to the nipple. And so that was really confusing for me because I just kept wanting clarity. Like, like okay, what does that actually? Yeah, mean? what does yeah. that translate to? Mm-hmm. And she was like, we need to do more tests. But what I can tell you is that because of your age, I'm really concerned and you need to do genetic testing right away to figure out, you know, what the severity of this might be. And also you definitely should go meet with a plastic surgeon because of the size of the mass, which she said was four centimeters long, right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Four centimeters. Like It's not nothing, right? Mm-hmm. So she's like, there's a four centimeter mass that we've observed. Yes, but- how are you supposed to know if that's big or small? Like, what is your me- point of measurement? I think she said, and I think she actually said, like, it's... It was big. It was... Con- yeah. yeah. The mm, word I okay. remember is, like, it's considerably large mass. Yeah. And mm. so she was like, regardless, like, you're going to need surgery. So well, she brought up a mastectomy in that, in she, that initial conversation. That, and yes. that, to me, I think that oh was what, like... Yeah. scared me the most because i was like what <laughs> like yeah she just said like yeah you're you're gonna need surgery we're gonna have to do either a lumpectomy or mastectomy but she really pushed mastectomy right away yeah which like, is for just for like information that's like when they remove your entire breast mastectomy is the yeah. removal of the whole breast a lumpectomy Lumpe- is just taking out the tumor yeah so she hit us with all that desiree kind of went went numb like stunned and was just like crying like waterfall crying like what's wrong with me and I was just trying to like, I don't know, I was caught between these two places of like, I'm trying to get information. And that's why you should have someone there when when you go into an appointment like that. Like for anyone listening, like it's important to bring other people, your partner, support person, just for the sake of 
bouncing information and absorbing as much as you can. Because when you got that diagnosis, it was just like the lights were off. Oh, yeah. I had no idea what was going on. I was just like, yeah. I can't absorb anything. Like I'm. But I do remember you absorbed this because she left and then I went to go hug you and you just went like shook your fingers and what? like you like what? and we're just like cut them off just cut just cut them off you were just crying and you just said <laughs> just cut them off like they were just like i don't know like, like flower stems I like i was dead i was like yeah i'm like my boobs are just infested i'm dead i don't know <laughs> yeah but but yeah, yeah so so she yeah but that's like at that point too i was just like willing to do anything like i would just like listen to anything that they told me i had no critical thinking you know it was just like what's really shocking to me is that the amount of information that you got from not knowing what was happening like opening a door to an appointment and not knowing to having to be like cut my boobs off was yeah. like a matter of minutes <laughs> yeah. and it, like i don't know how, how long really was it like 15 20 minutes that ten, appointment 10 like it was short it was yeah. like 10 minutes i don't know what yeah, you, maybe could have yeah. been shorter honestly yeah i don't know how any human is supposed to be able to like process information that quick that's what's really like taking me back because i'm just like 10 yeah. minutes from like innocent not knowing what's going on to like just cut them off that seems <laughs> yeah. wild yeah yeah it is it is wild and it's, it's very overwhelming yeah there's no sure. there's no filter and then all of a sudden you've got this bomb dropped on you you can't even well i think and i think the worst part is just like not understanding still the severity like really what's going on it's like you're trying to absorb all this information but like well that's what happened when she came back in mm -hmm. because then she came back in after i was holding her in the cut my boobs off moment <laughs> and she was like oh you know also because you're so young we need to like do an mri and like a CT scan to understand like what else is going on if in your spread, body. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh fuck. Like, what is going on? <laughs> like you you're you're only thinking about your breast or the lump that that they're looking at. And then all of a sudden you're like, holy fuck, like could be every, it could be anywhere. It could be everywhere. Like, and that is the beginning of yeah. your journey. <laughs> in, yeah, exactly. In this diagnosis. <laughs> process yeah. is is that is is that and i think that that's probably similar for like anyone that gets diagnosed with cancer is that the very first thing is that you're like how bad is it like is it everywhere and then you have to wait like at least a week to Lo find out longer yeah couple couple weeks yeah like yeah because so when you had asked her does she have cancer and she was like i don't know we have to do more testing she didn't say i don't know she said she has pre-cancerous microinvasions and that's just what she kept wanting to say to me because that's all she knew and there was she was unsure but she wasn't going to say i don't know she was just going to say this is what we've observed and i can tell you that we know you have but we need to figure out what else it is but there was no clarity on like is no. pre-cancerous actually cancer no which right. then becomes even more confusing when she's talking about a mastectomy an yes. extreme yeah. alarm exactly. to your age. And I'm yeah. sure to them, it's very clear because like they're educated in all of this. So to them, it's like a clear thing that they're telling you. But when you don't know anything, it's like very confusing. No, that's a really good point is that as soon as you get told that you have cancer, you're like, what the fuck is cancer even? Right. Like you're just like, what? because what is pre-cancer? What do you mean pre-cancer? 
is it is it going to be cancer? When's it going to be cancer? Right. I remember asking like, how long will it take for those micro invasions to become cancerous? And she looked at me like, fuck off, boyfriend. Like, <laughs> so once she left the room, who came back in? So they send in kind of like a um, counselor type. I don't know if they're actually like a counselor, but someone that can deal with your emotions <laughs> better than the doctor. Barely. Like, yeah, like an assistant or something. Um, and so they just come in and they have the blue folder and the blue folder has like basically all of your next appointments. So they book those appointments for you. You don't have to book them yourself. Okay. Um, so it has like your papers with all of those different appointments. And then it has like, you know, like cancer information booklets. Like I think it had a couple of those in there or like who to, you know, to yeah. call, don't kill yourself. Like, type of <laughs> booklets um and so my <laughs> appointment yeah the don't kill yourself booklet is in there but um my appointments actually started like that day so like i had my second biopsy that day so it was like that afternoon so we just we that's when we went to we had like a weird window of time to kill in between the finding out and then that second appointment and uh we didn't want to stay at the hospital. So we like left and drove to an egg smart because it was the only restaurant <laughs> around. <laughs> well, we were starving. We hadn't ate anything, yeah. right? Because we like needed to eat. So on the way, I like called one of my friends and told her because I knew that she would be the most like pragmatic about it. So Ashley, yeah, Ashley, I think I just needed to like get it out to like one person. And she was very like good. She's just like, okay, like what's the next steps? You know, she wasn't like overly emotional, which was good. And then we went to the egg smart and we like clearly shouldn't have been like in public. Like we were like <laughs> very like emotional and just like weird. And we sat at the table and like the waitress came over and like, it probably was so awkward. Like, I don't want to talk to these people. I'm like clearly interrupting something like dramatic. Um, and it was just like, also just weird because like, you immediately start thinking of like, oh, where did this come from? And am I, is the things that I'm going to be doing now making it worse? Like if I eat a like chocolate muffin with a bunch of sugar in it right now, is this going to like make it worse? You know? So like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I could eat. I like was just, you kind of feel like you're just like trapped in this like prison. Um, cause you have no idea like, you know, what's causing it and whatever. And like, so I think I just ordered like I don't know an egg or something. So I was no, like, what? fruit, fruit, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what's the like most healthy thing that I can like eat? Um, yeah, <laughs> and then I don't, I don't remember what you ordered. I don't remember either, but like I think it was just like fruit and like a piece of egg and maybe a bacon. Yeah, I'm sure you like, got an egg. <laughs> I like an egg. Yeah. yeah, it's just wild to think that you have to like immediately know how to function. This is a weird comparison, but I feel this way too when like a mother gives birth and then like the next day they're like, "Okay, bye!" Like yeah. leave the hospital, take this child. Now you have to understand how to function with a baby. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. So in like a less good way yeah um it's like oh you have cancer now like go into the world and figure it out yeah and like i wouldn't like yeah but that thought of like what do i eat yeah yeah not knowing crazy. if it's like stage four cancer or like and like you know yeah you just like have no idea you're just kind of like thrown out there how long did you guys have to sit at this egg smart well i think we had a couple hours but <laughs> we were, i think we were there for like an hour and a half or yeah, we like definitely had a couple hours to kill. 
yeah we just like looked at each other and just like <laughs> like cried like i no, you i wasn't crying it. yet i got in and i was i was trying to be strong and i remember you love this story but i remember like we came, we came in she ordered the fruit cup and i was like okay i'm i'm gonna go to the bathroom and then i like went to the bathroom and i was like you know peeing and i just started crying like it just like hit me because it was the first moment that i had alone where i was like trying to be strong and absorb and then i was just like so there i was like in an egg smart bawling holding my dick and like peeing and crying at the same time and just it was (laughs) it it hit me i like looked in a mirror and i was like like breathing like okay get a hold of yourself like you know man up (laughs) thing you probably shouldn't say but i was like man up like go out there like be strong like you gotta you gotta be strong for this but i was it was i was terrified because like we were just like now looking at each other as partners not just as like yeah we were out of the we were out of the initial bomb and and we could have a chance to like look at each other and realize what this was going to mean for us as like people and as a couple well it's definitely the first time in our relationship that we had to like face like something really hard together so you're also in this unknown of like are we going to be able to handle it it's also like a huge thing on your relationship right like are we gonna are we gonna make it you know Uh, how how all of the unknowns of things that i'm gonna have to deal with how is avery gonna deal with those you know right well i was like the opposite i was just like we're gonna make it yeah like well yeah I've never, I never doubted you, but you don't know. And like, we went through some things throughout the journey that definitely tested our relationship. Oh, we'll get to that. Yeah. So, but I think that it's important to note that you just were told that you have this diagnosis, that your body is like foreign to you now. And you're having to have this thought process of like, how is our relationship? gonna like how's Avery gonna handle this how are like other people going to even like you calling your friend being like you have to do the mental gymnastics of like is she gonna be emotional and like so many things you're thinking of at the same time yeah I think one of the hardest I think well definitely the hardest thing about that day was telling my parents like I didn't want to have that conversation like that is like the hard and I saved it for like the very end of the day because I just wanted to avoid it and they're the last people I told of like my close friends Um, because it's just this weird thing where like you, you can like, you can handle things. I think, I think this is true for like most people is that when something's happening to you, like you can handle it, but putting like bad news onto other people that clearly like love you and care about you. It's like, you're like hurting them, you know, Mm -hmm. even though it's like not your choice to do that. Um, it's still like putting this thing on them that you know is going to hurt them. So I think that was like a hard thing to deal with. Did you find support within your parents? Yeah, definitely. Like they were very, um, like non-emotional in like a good way. Like they, you know, they didn't, they were very just like, okay, well, you know, like keep, like keep, they obviously wanted to know all the information that I had, um, and more just like, okay, well, like, make sure that you communicate with us, like, what's going on throughout the process. But they weren't, like, breaking down on the phone, you know, which I think was right. helpful, yeah, mm-hmm. to me, for sure. I don't know what happened when they hung up. But, um, yeah, they were just, like, very support, like, just, like, we're here if you, you know, Good. Yeah. need anything. But 
Yeah. And so then, like, a whirlwind – well, you said you had a whole bunch of, like, back-to-back appointments after that. So, like, what is that like? What are the next steps? Like, what happens next? Um, yeah. So, basically, I just did tons of testing. So, it, like, became almost like a full-time job because I – I mean, I – like, you have so many appointments and things that you have to remember because also there isn't someone, like, holding your hand through the process. You, it's a good to keep track of things because, you know – a doctor in one department or a, a, you know, person giving you a test will ask you a question and like, you need to have the information to give them. Um, so I like tracked everything in like Google drive. I would like write down all my appointments and even just like doing all the research and trying to become educated about everything was like, it was like literally like a full-time job. So, well, as like a bystander, the concept of you doing research on your cancer treatment is almost alarming that you're like Googling what to do. So like, what does research look like? <laughs> um, it's a big question because... You're going to Google. Yeah. I mean, you're gonna and you're going to find like the worst case scenario that you don't want. Gonna, the internet is find... such a weird thing because... Like, you can go down such a terrible, dark rabbit hole, but you can also find, like, amazing support and, like, clarity on things. So, it really depends just, like, how you use it, I feel like. And it's important to find the right, like, resources. Like, I found a support group um, where basically women just, like, that have been diagnosed, like, and, like, um, well, it's a Facebook group. So, people just, like, write stuff in there, ask questions. Other people, like, share their experience. So, for me, that was, like, the most important. But that came further down the road at this point it was literally just like looking up medical papers and like trying to like piece together random information yeah you i mean we were lucky i have someone in my family who like who knew basically he's a a psychiatrist and he has a his father-in-law was a an oncologist so oh that's so lucky yeah it was so lucky and also my my therapist at the time had had breast cancer so Wow. It was really good timing to have a therapist. Um, so That's also very true, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so between like we sent her like whatever paperwork and whatever results that we had had to to him and then uh, I was talking about it with my, with my therapist because I had been talking about it with her. It was actually like one of the things that I was talking a lot about in the m- months leading up where I was like, oh yeah, I'm also really worried about this lump in Desiree's breast and you know she's like oh don't doom and gloom about it like it's probably going to be okay and then I remember as soon as I came in and started crying and then it was like oh no here's what you need to go to war against this thing Mm -hmm. and that's like how I felt we had to prepare was you got to get as much information as you possibly can right away because you're already in this medical system and the wheels of that system are going to turn with or without your knowledge or consent or whatever right like they're gonna put you with whatever doctor you're already registered with they're not gonna recommend you get a second opinion they're just gonna tell you what the course of action is to get rid of it right away and what the what the fastest move is and something that was interesting to me that my cousin was talking about him and i were like sort of debating like is it is it better to take a step back and like look at the whole picture of this diagnosis get a second opinion from another hospital and make sure that 
all things are taken into consideration and other opinions are considered or does this fucking thing need to just get out of her like do we need to just like eradicate this cancer as quickly as we can because every second we're waiting like the cancer is growing right so um yeah we just we we read a lot of research papers because that was the only thing also that like didn't seem so definitive like when you know you look up like a quora or whatever google search hmm, like it just people, it's yeah. just people being like i had this and this happened and and most of the time it's people in a panic state who are commenting and then they don't follow up with whatever's <laughs> happened so you get them at their absolute like worst possible comment that they could make um and then you run with that and then go yeah and then you're like home. well everyone's fucked so <laughs> guess like we're in this predicament now yeah. but yeah i I'm curious to know your conversation with your cousin when you were like, should we get a second opinion or not? Like, where did you square on that? Like, what was your... Well, I thought it was odd that we were going 45 minutes to drive to Mississauga, which yeah. is... So maybe, and maybe we need a little clarity on that, but right. um, because I didn't know um, that I could get an appointment in Toronto for the very first ultrasound... I made my appointment in Mississauga to get in faster. Which for context of people who are not from here is about 45 minute drive from the city. Yeah. So what I didn't know is that if something does show up, then they just put you in the medical system there. So like they're not going to ask you, do you want to go to the hospital in Toronto? They're just going to like put you in the one that you're that you're at. So all of my appointments from that point forward were in Mississauga. So we were driving like 45 minutes to go to every appointment. And there was a lot. There's like yeah. probably like six appointments within a two week yeah. period. Mm. But like I was just so overwhelmed with everything that I and my the way that I cope with things is like I just want to like go in like a dark hole. Like I don't want to be like proactive and trying to like figure stuff out. Like I'm just like, leave me alone. I'm going to go to bed. It's a very interesting relationship dynamic that's happening <laughs> yeah. here, but okay. But or you were <laughs> like that in, when this happened. I feel like this changed you in a way where – well, you probably, know. but yes, because I because I saw the positive effects of your actions, <laughs> but Aww. Avery was very like um, pushing me to like we need to like get a second opinion. You know, we should like just look at our options. Like this might not be the best place for you. So I did all my testing there, um, and then we, I mean, ended up switching to a hospital in Toronto. Like, not only for convenience, but because, uh, I mean, it's like people come from other countries to, like, get cancer treatment here. So it kind of was, like, a no-brainer. But I still just was, like, it's too hard. Like, I just want to, like, stay where I'm at. Like, everyone is nice to me. Like, I feel comfortable. It's going to be fine. But, like, in hindsight, looking back, um, I don't – I definitely would have gotten worse care and had a worse outcome. Um, like for example, maybe not war. Well, I don't know if worse is the right word. Yeah, it my might- quality of life would have been majorly. Well, different. yeah, if you got a mastectomy, it would have been absolutely. Yeah. yeah, like the doctors there were pushing me to get in Mississauga. Were pushing me to get a mastectomy just because I was so young. They were like, we and- need to take like the most severe course of action so that like you, you know, have the best results. And then I had an appointment with the plastic surgeon there and it was literally like a cattle farm. Like, I'm not even kidding. There was like a line. First of all, just to get into that appointment, there was a line up in the hallway of like 15 people. And then we got into the room and it was literally, it was just like one of those big hospital rooms that has like curtained off little like rooms. And he was just whipping around between like the different like curtained off sections. And it was all people getting like surgery for 
cancer was it no not all cancer he's just like a plastic like a medical plastic surgeon but i think he did a lot of like breast cancer surgeries um and he told me in that appointment because i had brought up like i don't know if i want to get a mastectomy like i think i'd rather do a lumpectomy for a lot of reasons like when you get a mastectomy, you a lot of people have to deal with pain forever and you have like phantom, like a phantom boob and it's just like not natural, right? So there's a lot of side effects that but, yeah, and you some, deal with. Some people don't have a choice. Yeah, some where, people don't. Where have with their diagnosis, they have to get a mastectomy, especially if, um, if you have genetic history, if you have the BCRA gene, right? BRCA gene? Yeah. Um, yeah it's likely you'll get it again. So they'll just remove the breast because if there's no tissue, then they're going to eliminate the mm-hmm. the duplication of the cancer. But yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't postured to us in that appointment that lumpectomy was possible. And also that the recurrence rate was only a 2% difference between the two. So if you got a mastectomy versus a lumpectomy, you're just 2% less likely to get it if you get a whole mastectomy? In in tandem Whoa. with the other treatments. But we didn't but they right. didn't tell us that at that point. It was more just like you'll just be better off if you have a mastectomy. Like they didn't really communicate, yeah. you know, those differences. So and he also told me I had I brought up that I would rather do a lumpectomy if that was an option. And he like looked at it and basically told me that if he did a lumpectomy, like I would have like a hugely misshapen boob. Like to me, that was a huge um, like marker in our journey, I guess, of making the right decision to move to the different hospital. Because when I when we did move and I had an appointment with the plastic surgeon there in Toronto. And just for clarity, you did you guys move to Princess Margaret? So basically, I spoke to my cousin who had talked to his father-in-law, the, who was an oncologist. They were like, yeah, look, there's there's probably some time here that we can make a decision, like because it's precancerous. And, and at that point, there were other tests and the MRI and the CT scan had determined that there was no spread. So that was fucking awesome. That was the best news. Jump for joy moment learning that. Because you're so nervous in that time, in those three weeks. But getting her into another hospital took like four weeks. Like it was, you know, you leave a voicemail panicking. Hey, holy shit. Like we have this diagnosis. Okay. Yeah. Call this um, voicemail and tell them your, your situation. They'll call you back and see who's taking new patients, whatever. So I had a list of doctors from our my therapist. And this is why you should tell everyone you know, because even though you don't want to drop these bombs on people that's how you're going to find support and information is from other people who are going through this and shouldn't be afraid to tell people because if we didn't it would have looked a lot different but anyways it it wasn't just like oh we're gonna go to this hospital so once she got accepted and they're busy like yeah (laughs) it's a it's busy breast cancer unfortunately is busy business yeah yeah and it was funny though because the the, the Mississauga hospital was beautiful. It was like new. There was plants on the inside, like nice waterfall music going on. And as soon as we walked into Princess Margaret, it was just like, dang. Well, it hospital. wasn't. So like, it wasn't Princess Margaret. Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. It was just, yeah. yeah basically, her doctor was part of the Princess Margaret uh, breast cancer team, I guess, or network. But Mount Sinai and 
Princess Margaret because they're like side by side. Mm-hmm. Doctors from Princess Margaret work in Mount Sinai, Mount you know, they like share a space. Yeah. yeah, okay. But Princess Mount Sinai Hospital was like going through construction. And oh yeah, and it's like downtown. Like it, I'm, you know, I'm felt from old. Winnipeg. I was like familiar with the like big hospital in like the suburbs, <laughs> and now I'm like downtown yeah. with like yeah, literally construction tarps and like in like the season, and it's like a mall. Yeah. Like the lobby is just like a mall. I'm like okay, I'm this is like yeah. so weird. I don't know. I definitely felt a lot more like not as comfortable but it's funny because the outcome i think was way better um but yeah it's funny because i don't even remember that i feel like i've just well yeah it took it took time but i i was pretty like certain that a second opinion with something that big like to remove your breasts or not was pretty important and i just want to say that i did say two percent before i think that's what i think it was between four and six percent was the difference but i don't remember it's uh, small enough not medical advice yeah i don't know check with your doctor (laughs) but it was it was it wasn't an extreme amount it wasn't like right it's not like night and day scenario no okay but but her diagnosis was pitched to her as you should probably get um the surgery for sure and then there was a couple options of the next course, which was like, well, that we need it. So basically, in my case, because they didn't find any cancer in the um, biopsies, it was to like get surgery to get the tumor removed, and then they had to like look at it to determine if I had to do any further treatment. Right, because precancerous, meaning like your cancer cells are actually not in there, and you guys have now determined that it hasn't spread. Mm-hmm. So it might have been as simple as just remove the tumor, sew you back up. Yeah, call it a day. Exactly. Yeah. That at that point, that's what I was looking at. Was mm-hmm. like best case scenario. It's mm-hmm. just surgery, and so my first appointment at um, Mount Sinai was with the surgical oncologist, and I feel very lucky to have gotten in with her because she is amazing. But I proposed the same thing to her because I think she kind of came into that appointment thinking mastectomy too was just the more maybe common thing that people do. I'm not sure, but. Um, she was kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, like, maybe I could do, like, a lumpectomy in this case. And she definitely, like, started to consider it. And then I think she was the one that told me, like, yeah, it's not that big of a difference, really. But there is, like, a chance that if I miss some or something, then we'll have to do a second surgery. Yeah, it's kind of on her in some ways, like, the your surgical oncologist, because there's, like, margins mm-hmm. of the spread already. Right. So it's sort of like, I don't actually know until I'm in there how much tissue we have to remove right. and what's what are the safe margins for healthy tissue where there hasn't been any precancerous well spread. i think they calculate that because they know the size of the tumor so they have to take out like tissue around it so there's like yeah there's like margins that they have to so i think she looked at mine and was like okay yeah like we can do it with safe margins mm-hmm. but if i go in and i'm unable to then we'll have to do another surgery so right. like just be prepared for that so how did that sound to you? I was just so happy that I didn't yeah. have to do a mastectomy. I was like, okay, we're good. Like I'm And she was amazing. Like I yeah. think I got to be there for the first appointment and then COVID took over and it was I just couldn't go to any other appointments. But right. man, okay, what we'll a what a night me. and day difference yeah. certain doctors will make. Because same thing, intensely intelligent, but had this sort of motherly big sister like aura of just like like I'm there for you. Like I'm gonna do my best to take care of you. Let's talk about what you want because mm-hmm. it. She mm-hmm. was the one who really sort of was like, "It's your decision." Like yeah. I'm gonna tell you what I think and what we should do. 
but it's up to you what you want. And, and it is up to you to anyone yeah. who's, who's dealing with their health. Like that's the difference. I really, at the first hospital felt like I was just part of like a cattle line. Like I felt like, okay, I'm just in this like queue and they're telling me what I have to do and I don't really have a choice. Um, but when I went to Mount Sinai, like it definitely felt a lot more like I have choice. I have a voice in this, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they're like willing to work with me. I'm not just like, something to be treated like so i had the surgery and then um okay because i need to ask because this is now like top of 2020 correct like covid is upon us yes yeah like so you had the lumpectomy so i guess that's the first thing that happens because i guess in my mind i'm like is the surgery like the last thing that happens, but I guess it makes sense. It's first. So did that surgery happen during like, was this after March, 2020? Like things were shut down. Yeah. So the first time I met with um, the surgical oncologist at Mount Sinai was in March, early March. I think it was like right before things had shut down. Cause I think you were with me. I and, was. And like and all the TVs, like in the waiting rooms were like, COVID is coming, you oh, know, God. like CP24 <laughs> yeah. doom time <laughs> for our Toronto people. They'll know. And then like my surgery was only, it only happened in the summer. So I had to wait like three months to get my surgery. Um, I think it was in uh, June. June. Yeah, it was the end of June. So at that point, was yeah, it, like no it, one. Was it June 24th? 25th. Ah, fuck. Wow, Avery. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Still, at um, any point. But I had to get – I had an appointment on the 24th, so maybe that's what you're remembering. But Maybe. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it was end of June. So at that point, no one could come. So any of my appointments, like, mid-March on, like, no one could come with me. And it's it's weird because I really just got used to that. Like, I, I, it didn't really – bother me that much and now i'm just like now i don't even think about like asking you to come to anything Mm because i'm just like used to going on my own but i do remember being kind of like nervous to go to the surgery alone like obviously avery dropped me off but in my mind of like i haven't had surgery before i'm just thinking of like people getting surgery in the movies and they like wake up and then their families like all around them like (laughs) looking at them you know and you're just like (laughs) blinking and i'm like (laughs) So that's what I'm thinking it's going to be like. And then, no, I just have to, like, wake up and be alone, (laughs) you know? So Oh, my God. That's so scary. Yeah. So that was, like, a little nerve-wracking. But it was completely fine. It's, like, I close my eyes and then I open them and it's done, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it's, like, a day surgery. I went home the same day. Yeah. It's really fast. Wow. Yeah. It's only, like, four four hours. Yeah. Um, Yeah. How did it go? Uh, So, yeah, it was, like amazing like i obviously i couldn't look at it for a while because it was like you know bandaged bandaged and stuff but when i was able to like even when i still had stitches and stuff i feel like i could tell that it was like pretty good because the shape like it was like the same i just had like a giant scar Mm -hmm. but like everything was the same and i was like i was immediately just like very happy like i i didn't have any really negative feelings about it I was just like okay this is like best case scenario and when I had my follow-up appointment with her 
I remember her like walking into the room and then looking at him being like, oh my God, like I'm a genius. (laughs) (laughs) She said, I think I did a pretty good job. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, I think I did a pretty good job. So like to me, just that, um, you know, thinking about my possible outcome in the first hospital being just so negative, (laughs) like, and to this one was huge. Like, I think that is what really like flipped my thinking to like, okay, yeah, you really have to take ownership of like your path because it can really change your outcome. Mm -hmm. So once that surgery is finished, like, could you technically be done? Like that could be the end of the road. Yeah. So what happened next is they take the tumor and then they like, they, you know, examine it and, um, and then they look at it and then that you get the results if it has cancerous cells or not. So I was like hoping, I was just being very optimistic, hoping that I would just only have to do surgery and then it would be over. Um, but I remember going to my follow-up appointment, which was also with the surgical oncologist. And it was like just, mo- the, I think the most nervous I've ever been in all my life because you're just like sitting there waiting to find out your future. Um so, and I remember I had to wait two hours for that appointment. Jesus. It was the longest I've had to wait for any appointment, like, which is so annoying. <laughs> like, okay, of course this one. And I was just like sitting in the waiting room, like trying not to like have a panic attack. Um, but I went in and she said like, okay, so we actually have like a little bit of a surprise. And I was like, oh, great. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So she told me that they found um, like it was like a tiny, it was like a millimeter, like two millimeters of like cancer cells or something like tiny. They counted them. There was like 14 cells. It was like tiny. Wow. Yeah. Within the tumor. Um, so at that point she referred me to a medical oncologist because they handle like any additional treatment. So like chemo, medication, like all radiation, all of that stuff. They will figure out your course of, of action. So I had to, um, you know, but that was a that was a hard moment for me because, you know, I was thinking that I would be like done course, yeah. and then everything changed and I was like, oh, okay, fuck, like I have to get more. And and now it's like a definitive diagnosis because they're like, yep, mm-hmm. we poked tons of holes into this tumor. We didn't find any cancer. And then they take it out and they say, actually, yeah, they're you do have cancer. So about so, a year later, you got an answer to your question of whether it's cancerous or not. Exa- well, right. yeah, it's yeah, um, a half a year later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got an answer and it upgraded her diagnosis. So she, she was considered like stage zero, which is really funny when you think of all this stress and all of this like trauma that you're going through and it's just stage zero. When, at what point did you guys know that it was stage zero? Well, that's what it's called when you're precancerous, right? I think we just okay. like figured that on our own. Yeah, honestly. we just they like, wouldn't even. Yeah, they would be. I was yeah. like, "What stage is this?" And I think they don't do that as much yeah. here. But yeah, um, yeah. Then, but then, we, the only reason that we knew is because, which we haven't talked about, we should talk about is work. So, for her to get an insurance benefit, um, she had to be stage one breast cancer so otherwise she wouldn't get this like payout um for being off work through our work we had insurance so one thing we should mention is that we're like you guys were in toronto canada therefore you have ohip or like government health care to an extent doesn't cover everything but that probably made things a little bit easier oh i can't even imagine having to deal with a financial 
like burden of, of that if we didn't have like if we were in the US for example and didn't have insurance like that's people go into like million millions of dollars in debt to do like a cancer treatment it's fucked to think about having to <laughs> not have an easy way out of this like a financial component is the last thing that you can fathom in in, in the beginnings of that situation for sure and yeah we we're very blessed to to have our health care, you know, and even though you waited a lot of hours, I think, I think that more than pays up for the overall care that we got. Oh yeah, for sure. I didn't really, f- I mean, I know that it, some people wait longer and have wor- worse experiences with that, but I didn't really feel like I was waiting too long. Like I waited a couple months for my surgery. I think that's what I was like the most nervous about, but, that but was it because really it was wasn't co- that bad. That was because it was COVID. Yeah. Right. They weren't doing surgeries that right. weren't life-threatening. They mm-hmm. didn't deem her surgery life-threatening enough for for a while, and that's why you waited a couple months for the surgery. But um, so OHIP covers to an extent, and then the rest of it like was covered by your work, but not for a while because it was stage zero. So um, because yeah, I'm not even thinking about like, are you working this whole time? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's been six months of like appointments. <laughs> yeah, so. Actually, like pretty much all everything is everything covered. Is, everything is by covered. OHIP. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Um. There's like certain medications or something, like some random little things that won't be covered. But like, I didn't. I bear. I didn't really. We didn't the, have to. It pay was. For it it was the fertility stuff that then wasn't covered. Mm. But yeah. everything else, the, the surgery is fully covered. The biopsies, the, the all the mammograms, everything, wow. the radiation, the chemotherapy. That's all covered. Shout out Canada. Yeah. No, it was really good that way. Um, So yeah, insurance was more just like for if you stop working. Oh, I see. I was in a real, I got, I was very lucky because um, where I was working at the time, I actually, like I continued working until my surgery and then I was off and I was off for about well, technically, I was, like, off until I started working with you guys. <laughs> right. Which is funny. But um, that was, like, October, I think, of that year. I was lucky because they they kept me – They I was, like, not working, but they kind of kept me on for a while mm-hmm. to just help support. So that was really yeah, nice. Yeah, they were, they were really nice. Yeah. Um, so I was really lucky that, that way. But I had access to, like, an insurance um, payout that, yeah, I couldn't get unless I was stage one. So mm-hmm. – at least there was that. I was like, okay, well, I get paid <laughs> yeah. yeah, for like having cancer. But um, but that payout was essential too. Well, yeah, um, there was a lot it, of expenses. It, there was a lot of expenses. Once once the chemo came into play after, then there was some like things that like. And we- I guess it came into play once you found out that there was cancer cells in the lump. Yeah, because yeah. you're stage zero. And then once they found the cancer, they would up her to stage one. I think one of the main things that it really helped with was like transportation because I had to go to the hospital so much and it's like, you know, you don't feel great. Like I don't want to be taking like the bus every day. So I, I use it on Uber. Like that's what I use it a lot on. And then there was, um, yeah, some expenses with the chemo, but I feel like I was actually going to ask that. So outside of like the mental like draining that this is that's happening, um, do you physically feel okay? Like outside of the lump or like now just the scarring? Um, yeah, it's funny because the actual cancer didn't cause me any like physical discomfort. 
Like right. zero. Right. Like I didn't feel sick ever from it. I never felt pain. I couldn't feel the tumor. Like I felt fine. It was the treatment that causes you like the most discomfort. Right. Um, and I think like even the surgery was like fine. Obviously it took me a while to like re- like heal and recover, but even that wasn't like too painful. Like it was pretty, it was pretty okay. Um, there, it was more things related with the chemo that were like painful. How quickly did you have to get into chemo? Is that like step, like right after they were like, you have to just right get into it? Yeah, so I had my appointment with the medical oncologist and I remember like doing research and then like going into that appointment being like, I'm going to like tell them that I don't need it. Like if they try to tell me that I need chemo, I'm going to be like, no, because because of this and this and blah, blah, blah. And it is it is your choice too. Again. Yeah, you can say no. Yeah. Um, and also for me, because it was such a small amount, like it's more of a precautionary thing right. that they're doing it for. It's like if one cancer cell escaped into your body somewhere, like, you know, they do it so that that cancer cell gets killed. Right. Um, so, yeah. So I had the appointment with the medical oncologist. I was prepared to tell them no. <laughs> like they come in and start talking and I'm like, okay, yeah. Like I don't think I can get out of this. <laughs> but Why? Like what – because they they biopsied your lymph node too, mm-hmm. so during your like during the surgery when they took the tumor out, they also take out some lymph nodes in your armpit too. Because mm-hmm. then they can tell if those are there's any cancer cells in those, mm-hmm. and then that was one reason for sure that you would need chemo. But you didn't find any. They didn't find any no. lymph nodes. No. Okay. So, I don't know. I think they just ta- it's just like the pressure of the appointment and stuff, and it's thinking like like worst case scenario if i could prevent something from like getting way worse or coming back or like whatever i should just do everything that i can like mm-hmm. that's yeah full measures kind of what i mm-hmm. what i came away with but um yeah that appointment was interesting because you're it's like a new system like the surgery kind of process is one thing and then you're in this whole other system of like seeing the same people at the hospital every day that like work in the oncology department and just like the way that things work like they have these little purple slips of paper um and that's how they when you start doing chemo they write your like appointments on those and give them to you because they're quite often and they write like the chemo drugs and stuff on those so obviously in my first appointment i didn't know what they were um and they also use them just for like scrap paper but they say in huge letters, like, chemotherapy on them. So I walked to, like, my appointment room. And you know how they put, like, the folders in the door? There was, like, one of those papers in there. And it all I saw was, like, chemotherapy. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I'm going to have to do it. Like, it's in the door. But they were good, too. Like, they gave me a lot of information and, like, scientifically, like, drew diagrams of, like, you know, why they, you know, what the chemo does and why they thought that I should do it. So they... What does chemo do? So it um, it kills... I think it just kills, like, any, like, radical cells in your body. So it doesn't just specifically target cancer. Like, it will kill, like, anything. That's so what, that's, that's why... why yeah, that's what's why a radical cell? Well, it can be anything. Like, fast-growing cells. Yeah. So, like, your hair is, like, fast-growing cells because it, like, grows. Oh, right? that's how people lose hair. Your nails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's why you lose hair. Exactly. Yeah. So it... Yeah, so it'll just kill, like, any anything like that. Um, so that's why also, like, people that are on harder doses of chemo, like, get really sick and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but so basically they 
they recommended that I do um, two drugs. And at this point, they also told me, this is probably important, they told me the type of breast cancer that I have because um, they could only see that from the cancer cells. So there's estrogen. So I was estrogen positive. So that means that estrogen like basically feeds the cancer, which sucks because it's like a natural hormone that you need. And then progesterone. So I was progesterone negative. And then HER2 is like this other um, thing. Um, And I was HER2 positive, which HER2 is a little bit more like aggressive of a type. I was HER2 positive. So the way that they treat you is it's actually better to be, like from my understanding, it's better to be positive, like some positives because they have like targeted treatments for those things. If you're like, estrogen negative, progesterone negative, HER2 negative. Like they don't really know how to treat that because they don't know like what is, you know, causing it per se. So um, they suggested that I do a drug called Taxol, which is like I had to go weekly um, for 12 rounds. And then her Herceptin, which is specifically to target the HER2. And I had to do that every three weeks for a year. And those are both intravenous, like, things. You have to go to the hospital and, like, get get it done. So chemo, like, it's actually, like, a drug and they give you – I actually just realized that I never really know, knew how they administer it. So just an intravenous drug? Yeah. So you just go and they're giving you an IV, essentially. Exactly. Yeah, just a clear, okay. clear liquid in a bag. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. And so basically for most people that do a lot of chemo, um, like, I had to go weekly, they – they don't want to give it to you like through your arm or whatever because you like eventually your veins will just like reject it. Mm. So they t- they um, recommend that you get like a port. So basically, I had to go get like a surgery to put in this little. It was like that was like a terrifying thing for me because it's like it connects. It's like this little thing and it connects to like your arteries. Has like tubes that connects to your arteries by by your heart. By your heart, yeah. By my mine was on this side, so it was like by my heart. And you're awake for that. They just gave me like some fentanyl or something, I think. And it's like fucked because you feel them like tugging your chest and like putting this thing in. And it's hu- it was probably like this big. Like how big is that? That's like bigger That's, like, than. Bigger than like, like it's a like, golf ball. So. Yeah, like ju- a golf you know, ball. It's a golf ball. <laughs> yeah. I see your golf references. Yeah. Yes. I'm right there with you're right you. there yeah. with me. But you it's can- flat, right? So it's like probably half an inch thick. So mm-hmm. it would stick out from my chest. And it was just okay. under like a thin layer of skin. Right. So... I got that surgery done and like it was they didn't give me any painkillers for the recovery and it was like so painful and they had to give me chemo through the next day like basically they will just connect the intravenous yeah. it's like a needle that just goes into this like yeah for port that you yeah, now have port. on your body exactly that is wild. yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah. for oh some for some reason they decided not to give her any pain relief and she was like bo- it was like so she, painful yeah she came home like like Avery I need something like and luckily we well i talked to the my my oncologist the next day and they like gave me some percocets or something and at that point it was very early on like i that my first chemo session i had through the arm my second one i had the port but it was like the day after that i had the port surgery that i had my second session so it was like so painful do you still have this port no oh they remove it after yeah okay they remove it i got it removed pretty soon after i finished are people allowed to go into chemo sessions with somebody? 
like usually usually but because it was covid you had to do chemo by yourself too people well everyone else had to do chemo by themselves my saving grace was that we were doing cold capping which is another thing we should probably explain but everyone pay attention (laughs) pay attention to the cold capping (laughs) but because of that avery was like allowed to come with me when desiree found out that she had to do chemo you know all of a sudden you're confronted with hair loss and that you're you're gonna you know lose your hair and and at the age of 29 i'm sure you were like <laughs> yeah no thanks and y'all can't see but she's got just a beautiful head of hair she just, really does she really does you really do it's <laughs> a thick luscious head of hair <laughs> thank you but you can talk about it. i mean how did you find the the cold caps and what are the cold caps yeah because i don't until you told me about cold capping i've never ever heard anybody talk about it i didn't know it existed either until i like i think i um you know what? It was actually one of my doctors at the hospital that told me about it. I think it was the medical oncologist, which is really surprising because I think she told me and then she like di- stopped telling people or didn't tell anyone else or maybe I was like a special patient. It was your hair. Because- she was like, fuck, we got to save this hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Because they definitely didn't want to like accommodate. I mean, I got the vibe they didn't want to accommodate a lot of people because it is kind of like a lift. Like we had to bring a lot of stuff into the hospital and like they gave us our own private room, which was really nice, but like it takes up a lot of space. But like, um, what is it? What's cold capping? So basically it, um, it, the like technology or science behind it, I guess, is that you freeze your head, like you freeze your hair follicles And actually what's happening is it's just like slowing your blood flow so that the chemo drugs don't go through there. Mm -hmm. So they're not like touching your um, hair follicles or whatever. I think it's like too because then it tricks the chemo to – because it's like slowed down, it makes it think that it's not rapidly growing or something. I'm not sure. Maybe. But either way, the chemo just doesn't affect your hair. So like your hair follicles, same place. Yeah, and so it's it's a different um, success rate for everyone, and it depends what kind of chemo you're on. Mine was like a little bit less intense, so I think that's also why it worked really well. I also have very thick hair. Um, but basically what it is, it's like a giant – and there's different forms, but the one that I did was a manual system. So it's literally like these helmets that will, they like fold out flat, or and then you can fold them into a helmet – And they have kind of like gel inside of them that freezes. So you have to, it was like a very intense process because we rented them from a company and then we had them at home. We had to keep them um, frozen. I I can't remember if we kept them frozen, but we had to- Yes. Like off time? No, no, like in the the days leading up to, in the day leading up to it. Mm -hmm. But anyways- you have to, you get like three because you have to switch them every like 20 minutes or so so that they stay like peak. How coldness. long is the chemo session? Um, it would vary because I did Herceptin only every third week. So those were probably like two hours. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. yeah. My, my other one was like an hour and a half if I wasn't doing the Herceptin. Um, and you have to do the cold caps pretty much the whole time. So we had to be like switching them on and off like every 20 minutes for that long. It was like a, a lift for sure. How were you doing that if you were had like a IV in your arm? Well, Avery did. Or in your chest. Oh, right. Yeah. Avery, the that's superhero. why Avery had to come with me. Yeah. Yeah, I got right. special permission to go because of this. 
Right. And that's probably why they stopped telling people that they could do it. But normally what they would have is that a rep from the cold caps place would come and there's like a, it's hooked up to a machine that keeps the helmet like it's got to be extremely cold. Yeah, that's cold. a different kind. Oh, yeah. so there's a different way of doing That's like a different company though. Oh, okay. It's like a different way. There's like an electronic version yeah. where it hooks up to a machine and someone from the company comes and like actually does it for you. And I think it's more of like a plastic helmet. It's not like but it's the like, manual ones, but they weren't doing that because of COVID. Right. We Like I have to stress that like these helmets are like they're minus 30 degrees Celsius, which is whatever, zero degrees Fahrenheit for you American right. weirdos. But it's zero. It's, it's 30 below that you have to maintain as so a temperature. So you're wearing gloves to touch it, obviously, right? Because yes. your skin would freeze to it. So basically, like, because it was like she like she had so much. They give her uh, Benadryl um, before the chemo because of some people will have severe allergic reactions when the chemo just comes in. So an antihistamine, like, helps that. And, she like, she was zonked. Like, as soon as this Benadryl shit hit, it was just, like, zannied out, like... But in a bad way, not in a good way. I was, like, internally Drew, like, having a panic yeah, attack, she's but, having like, a panic attack, but, asleep. Yeah, inside, she's having a panic attack. Outside, she's, like, drooling. Like, yeah. she was, like, like just... I remember the first time, because I was just, like, whoa, like, what did they give you? Like, is that the chemo? And it's, like, no, that's just the Benadryl. So she, there's no way she's putting the cold caps on when she's like that. Right. And so, like, yeah, I became the cold cap sergeant. Yeah, and yeah. basically, you—they give you these three helmets. They look like Sonic the Hedgehog, like <laughs> helmet masks that you put on. And we would we have an order of dry ice that would come and get delivered a day before the chemo. They would drop the dry ice off in this cooler, and then at our house. At our house, and then in the mornings, um, I would put the helmets into the dry ice, and within like twenty minutes, they were thirty below. Yeah. And so then I would like cycle out each one of these helmets in this like two hour, whatever, one hour period where it was just like, I think I would usually go through about five, five. I think it was, was it every 20 or 15 or something? Uh, yeah. I feel something, like it was I think faster. It was like 20 minutes or 15 minutes maybe, but I would start to feel it like. It's funny because I feel like my head was so numb that I didn't even know what was going on. But as soon as it started getting a little warm, I would like get anxiety that like my hair was going to fall out because it was getting warm. And I would like get mad at Avery because he was distracted on his phone or something. <laughs> but like I didn't want to get mad because you're like helping me true. so much. But it might, I mean, it's crazy because you came to the hospital with me every time and it was like 7 a.m. that we would have to go. 12, 12 times. Yeah, 12 times. And you were still working. It's not like you were off. Yeah, anything. I wasn't just wow. on Twitter the whole time. No, I know you were doing like work I, calls. I was mostly on Twitter. But, <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, so we were doing that. And then I was also freezing my hands and my feet for a different reason because um, one of the effects of the chemo is that it can cause like severe neuropathy in your hands and feet. So it's basically just like numbness and tingling, but it's like they consider it pretty um, important because it can get really bad. So they'll actually like stop your treatment if it gets bad enough. So I think I went into, and I had found out, I think through my Facebook group or something about like freezing your hands to prevent that. Um, and I actually got like gifted the, the, it's like special gloves and things. It's like the same thing, like gel that you like freeze in the gloves. Um, and on your feet as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So someone in the Facebook group had done it and they were done. So they were like, oh, do you want like my kit? So they mailed it to me, which oh, was like amazing. So nice. Yeah. Um, and then, um, so I had it and I brought it to the first appointment and I remember like trying to do it in the first appointment 
And I think I had them on for 10 minutes or something. And then I was like, I felt like, fuck this. Like, I can't yeah. do it. It literally feels like just sticking your hand straight in snowbanks for like, and you have to do and, it for like two hours. And, like, the, and the socks. Yeah. And the socks yeah. on my feet. Like it hurts. Like it was painful. Plus I have like the helmet on my head. Oh my it's God. heavy. I'm like drooling. Oh yeah. I like also the way that you put on the helmet is like very like they didn't have like a, they send you like a kit. Um, but it's not really like built for comfort. So they just give you like literally a pad, like for your period. And they're like, oh, just stick it onto your head. And then the helmet goes over. So it won't like scratch your forehead or, or whatever. freeze your forehead, freeze yeah. your forehead. So I'm like, have a pad on my head and then like the the bottom strap would like cut my chin so i put like a cloth so i literally have like a drool rag and my hands are in these giant frozen mittens you know what it looks like (laughs) it looks like a rugby helmet like an old 1940s like rugby helmet Mm -hmm, that you put on without a chin no with a chin strap but it's your it's your drool your drool napkin hanging from it so it was very unattractive i think no it was hot (laughs) (laughs) okay shout out avery for being boyfriend of the year yes it was very like that's where you like real. I mean, you were you were there for me the whole time, but I feel like that's where you like really showed up for me. I stepped up to the plate. Yeah. God damn it! Yes, you have. To- you call it to stepping up to the golf hole. To the thing. I stepped up to the <laughs> first <laughs> tee. <laughs> stepped up to the first golf hole. No, I stepped up on that tee, the back yeah. tees. <laughs> um, but you have to, you know, like as the partner, it like I wanted to be there. Like I didn't want to. I didn't want to miss anything, and I am glad that I got to go there because I got to experience a a lot. Well, that's the thing too. Like it would have been weird if I had to do it all alone and then like just come home and then you have no idea like what right. because you can't explain it to someone and even like even you being there, you can never fully understand my experience. But at least you being there and seeing it, it's like you have a deeper understanding than me just coming home and like telling you what happened. Yeah. But you were also pretty amazing with that whole thing too. Cause like, I mean, you were meditating a lot at that time to like help you go through that because like once a week or once every two weeks to, to go through that is fucking intense. Like you were having, you were basically having a guaranteed panic attack for like 30 minutes it was like because of the benadryl right yeah i mean i in my head i honestly was like this is like running a marathon like if i can like pull this off it's like an achievement like it's Mm -hmm. like a self-discipline like practice you know and i i I did do a lot of things to help manage my anxiety throughout the whole process meditating was like a huge thing i never meditated before any of this and then i started and like that really helped but were you meditating just like throughout or were you also meditating like while you were getting your chemo if I, that's even possible so i think like so i i was just doing it at home mm-hmm. um but i th- when i was in those situations of like high anxiety i noticed that like deep breathing would just kind of like automatically like kick in and i think it was because i was like literally training my brain to just like be right. able to you know be present and like deal with just kind of like self soothe i guess right um did you end up being able to like do the hand and feet freezing thing yeah so i i I was like fuck this i'm not gonna do it after the first one and then i think i did two more sessions and i started like feeling a lot of just weirdness in my hands and i was like okay like i think i have to like i don't think i have a choice and then on the fourth session i did it and like all the pain and stuff went away like i didn't feel it again so i just kept doing it every time like the tingling went away yeah oh that's great yeah 
So it really worked. Like it really, really helped. And I know you were mentioning fertility and I know Mm. that has to do with chemo. So like what was the process around that? Especially you being so young. I just want to say that (laughs) when when we were going through all the initial tests after the biopsy, they send you for like the genetics testing. And the genetics testing like plays a big role in how the entire treatment looks because Desiree had no history of breast cancer in her no family no family history Mm -hmm. of breast cancer she did have a history of other cancers but not breast cancer and they determined that she didn't have the genetic marker um for breast cancer or or passing it on which is sort of odd then you start thinking so young yeah you start thinking what is this is it it must be environmental like is it just an anomaly and the geneticist was really good in explaining like just how cancer is essentially like one bad cell that can't repair itself that duplicates over and over and over again you have this mechanism i think it's like a two two fold a tufa two fa system (laughs) of the cell being able to repair itself and when one or two of those both shut off then that's when you get cancer because the cell um duplicates in a way where it's uh, it's deformed or um, mm. so when that information is given and then chemo is also factored in now you have this sort of like bigger worldview of your diagnosis and they tell you okay we're going to do chemo just so you know chemo can affect your ability to reproduce mm. yeah um that was kind of like the biggest i mean Walking into chemo itself is just, like, very scary because you have no idea, like, what the side effects are going to be. Obviously, in the movies, it's very dramatic, you know. Um, But that was, like, a really big thing for me with the continued treatment was just, like, what side effects is this going to cause for me going forward? Um, And one of the big ones is fertility um, because chemo, yeah, can damage your ovaries, basically. So, (laughs) yeah, it's like, that's the other thing is like all these treatments. It's like a gift that keeps on giving. Exactly. Rolling with the endless punches. Anything that you take or do, you have to think what, what is the side effects of this going to be? Right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so they refer you to a fertility clinic basically just to get, um, kind of like what they do is they just figure out like your baseline, like where you're at, if things are good, whatever. They also test your partner to find out. Um, And then you have the option to freeze eggs to like basically have them just in case something goes wrong and like Mm -hmm. your ovaries are damaged. And there are costs associated with that. That is also where some of the insurance money came into play because that isn't like covered. Some of it is covered. Um, but not all of it. I think we ended up having to pay like four grand or something. Mm-hmm. Same same with the cold caps. They weren't covered. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah. So we went to the fertility clinic. And to us, it was kind of just like a funny experience because we were like, oh, yeah, we see this in the movies. Like, it's always like, you I'm know. really loving all the movie references yeah. that you guys <laughs> Yeah, what do you keep? Clearly, what what movies are you watching? I don't know. That's like all we do is watch movies. <laughs> what so are the clearly. cancer movies? <laughs> yeah. 50-50? I don't know. Where he just gets high and does the chemo? <laughs> no, it's like I've never been in a fertility clinic, but I've yeah. seen it on TV. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And it is well, egg really. Well, freezing is also like a whole thing people are talking about now. So. Yeah, yeah. And it is really like you see on TV, like it's just like pictures of babies all over the walls. And like we were kind of just like, <laughs> oh my God. It's you a know, little nuts. There's all these <laughs> yeah. other couples and we're just kind of like, oh, we don't need to be here. Like we're just here for like precaution, you know. Same so. same shit as that other waiting room. <laughs> yeah. The right. first cancer one where you're looking around and you're like, why am I here? Yeah, exactly. 
So we like go into our appointment. We each have to do our own separate testing. So for me, it was like a vaginal ultrasound, which is super fun. And uh, from they like count all your they count your follicles basically to figure out like through um, the ultrasound they can count it. That's what they do. That's crazy. It's on the screen, and like they literally count like while you're in while it's in you, they're counting like on the screen how many. So and follicles are where the eggs are grown, basically. Mm. So the eggs come out of so it's not your actual eggs it's like that's where your eggs come out of and i guess the more you have the better right. um and then i think i did a blood test too and avery had to do his thing yeah so she had to like have a vaginal ultrasound and i got to jack off into a cup <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, and for joys a vaginal ultrasound is literally essentially like a dildo going inside of it's you. It's huge. Huge dildo. Yeah, yeah it's huge. Yeah, yeah it is. Huge. And they like move it to each side and it's like, oh my God. But yeah, so we each did our tests, you know, kind of feeling like, well, nothing is visibly wrong. So like, we're probably fine. And then we went in um, to, we, so we didn't, I don't think, I think I got my results that day because they can like tell you pretty much on the spot. Um, but Avery had to wait for his. So they told me that mine were like lower than normal, but still within like the normal range. So I was like, okay, I mean, that sucks, but whatever. Yeah. And this, this is a whole other system that you're in now with the fertility where it's a new set of doctors. It's actually like a private clinic. It's like some of it is paid for by our, like our, for us, but for other people, I think it's you pretty much have to pay out of pocket yeah when you get cancer you get a free round of ivf mm-hmm. and a free round of it's of- a free egg retrieval and a free round of ivf but for both of those you have to pay for the drugs what's ivf again ivf is when you actually take the egg and like implant it with sperm and then put it in okay yeah. so this would happen like later when you actually yeah. want to have kids okay. yes but the egg retrieval process is is covered as well. So mm-hmm. they have to take the eggs out and then put it back Except in. for the medication. You have to pay for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now you have this other doctor. Whole other world. Whole other world. And it was an interesting, unforgettable experience. Um, because the doctor that we got was very um, quirky. <laughs> I don't... Quirky uh inappropriate uh, i don't know she's like weird it's just yeah we had this i don't know we had this experience where we had a doctor she was very assuming of like what was going to happen next Mm -hmm. so like you know it was just like oh you're coming in oh you have breast cancer oh no but we're gonna get you a baby like it was just very like baby focused like everything was just all about i'm gonna make you a baby not like, do you even want a baby right now? Like, is now a good time for a baby? It's like, if you're Pretty in there, much, yeah. you're coming out with a baby. <laughs> so that was like not something that I felt needed to be. I just want to ask, did you guys at this point have a conversation about whether you wanted kids? So um, I think we had, but not like super seriously. Like we we didn't. And she did this thing in our first appointment with her where she made us like write down on a piece of paper separately, like on a scale of one to 10, how much do you want to have a kid? Like how important is it to you? And yeah. then show each other like in yeah. front of her in the appointment. Oh I was like, is that really necessary? No, it probably isn't necessary, <laughs> but she was a weirdo. That's like, she definitely gets off on that. That's like a weird So what exercise. were your numbers? 
I think I put nine and then I think Avery put eight and then told me later that he only put it so high because he thought that I was going to put it high. No, I didn't say that. I think you put like 10, 9.5 or 10 and I put like one, one decimal lower. I think, I think you put nine and I put eight. And the only reason I put eight was in case she couldn't have kids. Oh, Uh, like a fail safe of being like, you remember this very wrong. Yeah. 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 Sorry. You remember this real wrong. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I I put eight, she put nine, and it was like, yeah, we want we wanted kids. Yeah. I mean, we had, we had talked about having a family, but n- we weren't ready at twenty nine. No. And also, like all these things start costing a lot of money, and then they put on you like a baby. It's baby time, and you're like, I'm not fucking rich. I'm not ready for. <laughs> I this also shit. have cancer. But you're also dealing with cancer. Yeah. 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 Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so we had that appointment, and it was very like the. I mean, I guess the nice thing about a private um clinic is that like you actually get time with doctors so our appointment with her was like an hour long too long and she like (laughs) talked through kind of like all the processes of like getting your egg egg retrieval and whatever so um (laughs) i just i did decide that i wanted to do it so i went through that whole process um and ended up coming out with like 10 eggs which she told me that someone my age should get like 20 so i was like okay <laughs> but but i was happy with 10 cuz i was like what if i get like two you know now you can have 10 kids yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah what if what if you get two but no actually it's like it's it's you know a lot of the eggs like don't there's a chance of them not making it through yeah. the defrosting whatever um process so wait, real quick yeah how does the egg retrieval process work so um Basically, they they put you on birth control for a couple of days to time your period, and then you have to start taking um, injection, like daily injections. So they give you all of they do the first one for you in the clinic and show you um, how to do it, and then you take everything home and you do daily like hormone injections. And what those are doing is growing. Um, it's grow so on your period you usually just have one egg that's created and then released. But when you do an egg retrieval, you're taking these drugs that basically grow as many eggs as your like ovaries can at once. So that's what's happening. So you do this for like, oh, I think I did it for a week and a half or something. Avery would give me the injections at first and then I like think I started doing it myself. Mm-hmm. It Where do you have to inject them? Like into your stomach? In your stomach. Yeah. Like around your uterus, I guess. And then um, – and then – once they're so you also have to go into the clinic like every day or every second day to get the vaginal ultrasound to like see how they're doing how they're growing Mm -hmm. and then once they're ready um you go in for the retrieval but the like nerve-wracking part is that they give you this drug that you have like it's an injection that you have to do the night before your retrieval and basically what it does is it like signals your ovaries and your follicles to release the eggs (laughs) so that they can go in and get them but she's like if you do this like at the wrong time like it'll release and then like i won't be able to get them so you better do them like right at the right time and i was like oh my god like that's so stressful yeah yeah and i remember i was so anxious like avery gave me that one and i remember he was like taking the medication out of the thing and like squirted a little out uh, like before he put it in i was like oh my god like no you ruined the whole thing like you said it a lot meaner than that (laughs) did i i think i got mad yeah it was stressful um but then you go then you go in for the retrieval and what they do is they just give you fentanyl which is great but you're awake but you're just like very loopy and then they <laughs> they take a giant needle 
and they go through your uterus wall to your ovary and they like suck out all the eggs like individually. So I remember at one point, and this is such a weird thing, like I don't know if I remember this properly, but I remember being loopy and then her asking me like, what's your favorite cocktail? And I was like, a martini, like not at all thinking that was a weird thing to ask me. And then- <laughs> and then She was just the perfect doctor. Then, but then at one point I felt it and I think I said ow or something and like grabbed the table and she was, I swear to God, she was like, give her another round, like another martini. And I was oh. like, okay, I guess that's why she asked me. Yeah. But- um. So maybe loopy is kind of nice. Yeah. You know, like a little bit of a weird doctor. That's She's loopy. Things are working out. It was fu- It was like, I feel like she did do a good job. Like everything worked out, you know, and uh, it's, yeah, it, overall, I mean, people I think have, can have bad experiences with like doing the hormonal drugs to like lead up to getting their retrieval. But I found it fine. Like it was definitely tolerable. Did you have to do this before or during chemo? Before. Oh, before, right. That Did would I do sense. it because you it don't. Before, yeah. Yeah, that's the whole point. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah. Don't listen to anything oh, yeah. she says. She's got all the timelines <laughs> wrong. That's why I'm here. Yeah. That's why I'm here. <laughs> so I did it and I got 10, which is great. They're in the freezer. Um, you have to pay for the. F- you have to pay for the storage every year, so that's... Okay, I was about to say, like, are they in your freezer? <laughs> no. No, I'm just... <laughs> they're, no, they're in their freezer, which also, like, freaks me out, because it's like, what if they mix it up when you want to use them, or what if they, like, lose them, or, like, I don't know, it's, like, too much to trust someone else with, you know? I hate yeah. that. But I'm paying them $200, $300 a year, so they better keep them. Yeah, there's a they, there's a rental fee for yeah. Desiree's 10 disciples. <laughs> yeah. So, that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. But then, so the other thing that came out of that was Avery getting a nice phone call um maybe i'll maybe i'll take it i'll from just here. i'll just set up the atmosphere of the phone call it was my best friend also roommate at the times 30th birthday so i i was like getting the house ready with like balloons and like setting stuff up and then in like 30 minutes we were all gonna like gather in the living room and like have a happy birth like surprise happy birthday thing so while i'm setting up the balloons i just see avery outside on the phone like pacing back and forth <laughs> i think i didn't i think i think just thought it was a work call or something I do pace. <laughs> yeah. Well, ba- basically, I had to go do my testing too because they want to know the viability of each partner because I guess that goes into play for the. F- I mean, it's funny because it shouldn't really at that point come into play because we weren't going to have a family like right away. Right. But they just do it at the same time um, because they want all the answers for when you do start your family planning. So I was asked to go jack off into the cup. And then they would tell me from that sample, um, you know, how many sperm I have, good to go, right? So through all this mishugas of everything, I'll use a good Yiddish word there, but um, of the whole cancer and and everything, the focus was very heavily, obviously, on Desiree. (laughs) And um, I got a phone call at work. I'm at the office. I'm there alone, thank God. and. I get this call from the clinic and I answer and it's like, hi, Avery. Like, (laughs) um, listen, I'm just calling because we got your results back and it's not the news we were hoping for. And that was exactly how she said it. And I was like, oh, like, what's what's wrong? And she's like, well, normally we see, you know, millions and billions of sperm and for you, we found none. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. No, you can laugh. I can't you can laugh. Me. And I was like, <laughs> and I just 
dr- my jaw dropped and all of a sudden it was me and I was just like but it's like of course this also yeah. happened yeah. like yeah. I can't like so I'm just like oh and her voice <laughs> fuck it just killed me and I was like what do you mean like none like I have no sperm and she was like well no we we did they spin the sperm basically to like find it, I guess. And they're like, when we spun it, we did, we did actually find three. And so in my head, I'm like, okay, like, all right, I, I made three sperm. Like it's better than no sperm. And she's like, yeah, we found three, but they were dead. <laughs> oh my God. They weren't moving. Like three of them. You're supposed to have like millions, billions. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, great. I have three dead ones in me. That's awesome. So that began my medical journey in the midst of this, but it was, I was just like, what? And she, I was like, what the fuck? So I'm, I'm like shell shocked. And the same way that you're confronted with the diagnosis with cancer, like it was kind of similar because it's like, I can't create life. Like now I can't have a family. Like, how am I going to break this to Desiree? Like we've, we've already been through so much. Like, what does this mean for me? Like, what's wrong with me? I got my own dose of, like sort of the the feeling of your body isn't working the way it should be and when that happened i was really nervous to tell you because like kind of felt like it was like worse than everything going on at that time because we were sort of getting through this cancer diagnosis together and one of the things we were looking forward to was having a family and like we were starting to actually talk about it more because you start when you're confronted with a cancer diagnosis, you think about time and how, you know, one person might not have as much time as the other. And I remember you saying that to me, like, you know, I got to think about how much time I have here and, and having a family and stuff. So I, I was fucking devastated. And it was crazy because my mom had called me earlier and was like, what would you do if you found like as a hypothetical? And I was like, oh, I wouldn't care. Like it wouldn't be. And it just, it just ruined me. Like it just, um, it's weird. Yeah. It's weird how that happens. You don't, cause I remember when you told me yeah, in the midst of Kara's birthday yeah, and uh, we were like upstairs and it's weird because yeah, I always was kind of like, like mentally I was always kind of on the fence about it. Like I wasn't like, oh my God, I need to have kids like now, you know? Um, but then when you told me, it was immediately like, oh, we got to have kids. Like, right. We got to figure it out. Like we got like, it's so important. It like, it did feel worse than the cancer diagnosis for sure. Yeah. Um, and like, I remember immediately we started talking about like, okay, well we could adopt, like we could like, maybe we sh- we could get a sperm donor, like literally five minutes into like finding out <laughs> yeah, this news. You're, you're just grasping. We're like, yeah. We're like we could do all these things, but. And this is the news that you decided to break in the middle of this birthday party. I can't hold anything. Well, it was right. So it was <laughs> what, right. What am I going to hold that in? Hey, I have three dead ones. I gotta, I gotta keep that inside me for twenty four hours. No was way. Was the party the same day as you finding out? Yeah, it was literally like she was setting it up for her friend, and I just came home. I called, I called a few people. I called my dad and uh, my friends, and was just like, "Fuck! Like, what do I do?" And um, I also, being me, on the phone to her was like this could this be an anomaly and she was like it could like you should you should probably come in and and do the test again but you know it's probably unlikely that it's a mistake and i was like i'm coming in tomorrow like i'm giving you as many samples as you as you need like this this can't be this can't be real right like there's no way that this is that this is happening on top of everything we've been through um and so yeah i came yeah. home and i told you and 
He told me, so it was like right before we were going to do the birthday surprise. We were like upstairs in his room having this like emotional breakdown and like talking about our options. And then I was like, okay, well, we got to do the birthday now. So we like came downstairs and like did the birthday. And then, but like, luckily, I mean, we're very close with all of our like roommates. So I think we just ended up like telling everyone like what was going on. Yeah. And it was kind of just like, you know, it, it is funny because it's so shocking. Like yeah. it's like. It felt like being in a bad so, comedy movie. Yeah. And like, you're like, okay, I'm probably going to come out of this maybe, but I don't know. It was, it was a lot to deal with to be like confronted with infertility <clears throat> in because of the breast cancer. Mm-hmm. But. It's a good thing. Well, it was a blessing. It's a blessing in disguise because through the processes that I had to go to to figure out whether or not I'm fertile, um, there like that would have happened later on in life, anyways. And well, that's the thing. When at the time that we actually would have started trying to have kids, like would probably be in our like now now or like mid thirties. And then we'd have to like go through that whole process. So it would just like delay things even more. And my diagnosis took nine months too. Um, Uh yeah, but I, like, I basically went back, I did another test. They told me that it was the same results and that they would have to run all these other tests, but like, it wasn't looking good. Um, and then I started getting really annoyed with the doctor because every time I'd come in, she'd be like, it's okay, we'll get you a sperm donor. Like, (laughs) as if that was just like a given and like, you know, or, you know, she didn't want us to adopt. She really wanted a sperm donor. Yeah. So I did that and I had to do my own. Uh, uh, dildo tests. Mm-hmm. I had to do some uh, uh, rectum probes. <laughs> I had to do a lot of uh, balls ul- ultrasounds. Um, and biopsy. And then finally, I had my own biopsy. No way. Yeah, like I, I mean, there were so many things. It was the same thing. It was just like the genetics. We got to figure out, like, are you missing a chromosome, or you, or have a chromosome, or whatever. That's like the worst case scenario. Yeah. If it's like a genetic thing, because then they're like, oh, like. Then you can't. You can't have kids because then you're going to pass it on to them. Yeah. So, so yeah, there was that. And then, um, like, are, are you missing some tubing or vast deference? Like, all this stuff. And I, I did a lot of tests. And then, yeah, finally I got, I, I got referred to a specialist because I also went through the same thing where I was just like, I need a second opinion on this. Like, and she wasn't really the right person because she more specialized in female fertility. So, yeah, I finally saw a specialist after, like, six months of thinking I was – not going to be able to reproduce, confronting a, a lot of things about what that meant for us moving forward. I, I thought you'd like dump me, but like, no, I mean, but you have to consider that, right? Well, that, I thought like, that about the cancer too, though. I was like, who's going to want to like go through all this shit? Like, yeah, you know, a so. guy who's infertile, that too. <laughs> well, um, you didn't know you were. I know. <laughs> Match made in heaven. Yeah, yeah but no, I mean, I, and I, I feel so badly for people who, guys, you know, I'm sure a lot of guys go through this and, uh, it's scary and it's, it makes you, I don't know, it makes you question your body or your manhood and like all this different stuff. And there's a lot of like toxicness uh, wrapped in that. But um, the ultimate finding was that I went and got a biopsy and they biopsied me. And the the result was, is that I do have sperm. Um, I have normal like sperm cores and I, I guess I have lots of sperm, but they just can't get out. So there's some blockage and, that blockage wasn't revealed on any of the of the scans. It's like tough for them to figure it out. So mm-hmm. I have to go get a surgery um, to for them to find the blockage and then fix the blockage. And then also at the same time, they'll um, pull sperm out of my testicle um, so that if we want to do IVF, we likely can. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I, I on that on the day that I found out that it was a 
I mean, they still don't know. I still don't have like a, a clear diagnosis, right? Mm-hmm. But I just know that I do have sperm. It's just trapped uh, right. somewhere. So, so one way or another, you could do IVF if you guys had to. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah okay. exactly. Hopefully. I mean, you know, but yeah, yeah I, I, I jumped for joy on that day. Like I got that phone call and, and it was funny because of how much we were dealing with doctors at that yeah. time that as soon as I got the phone call, I could just tell with the tone and I was just like, fist pumping yeah fist pumping in the kitchen well, i think like the assistant called you or something yeah. it wasn't even the doctors what who it, were like okay I this is probably good news i forget what i was saying but i was like i can bust like i can do it <laughs> yeah. like i'm gonna bust <laughs> but it is weird how like situations like that will just reveal thing like knowings that you don't consciously know like you saying like oh i thought you'd break up with me like in that moment immediately 100 percent, i knew that i wasn't gonna break up with you you know what i mean so it's like yeah. you realize what you can get through and you realize how strong your relationship is and that's probably not the case for a lot of people like it probably does cause it could probably know. also very easily go the other way yeah oh exactly. yeah. Like, i'm not really trying to deal with all this i mean yeah. we you know we had been in a relationship for like what five six years when yeah, you got probably. diagnosed so like we were pretty solid yeah but like all this shit that you go through like will test you and will you know reveal how you problem solve and how you handle conflict and and adversity and you know i think we both handled it differently but we handled it together we mm-hmm. just communicated really well throughout the whole process like there yeah. was never any any unanswered questions except for one thing and that was sex. Oh, yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. The big S. <laughs> the big S. <laughs> yeah, so like what – like did you have a sex drive while you were – I guess was it different before and after chemo? Like what was that like? So there's a lot wrapped up in, into this because um, there was one particular side effect that I experienced from the chemo that like really affected our sex life. And and your life. And my life, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say that it affected, like, my sex drive because it was more just my, like, physical mm. well- well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically what happened is <clears throat> when I was doing chemo, I voluntarily opted to do um, a drug that shuts down your ovaries. So basically you stop producing estrogen like you go to like zero which is less than if you go through menopause when you're going through menopause you still have some estrogen but when you um do this drug you literally go to like zero so and i had just kind of found out about this option like through my own research it wasn't really something that my doctors like brought up to me but they were like okay like if you want to do it like you can but also no one like, they were just like, okay, well, if you don't like it, you can just go off. But no one told me about the severity of, like, the side effects. And like, it, I was not clear on that at well, all. And your fertility doctor, like, didn't really run you through all this. No. You know? No. And, I mean, at that point, we were a little sick of her, too. So, it's, it's probably also. Yeah. Was the fertility doctor aware that you were taking the uh, yeah, estrogen blocker? I, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I went through a different uh, doctor to, like, get prescribed it and stuff. So, basically, um, and it's, yeah, this is kind of, it is kind of like an experimental thing too. They don't have tons of data on like how well it works, but I just wanted to take like every precaution possible. So I opted to take this drug and, um, I'm sorry. So if it shut down your ovaries, that what, well, how did that help? Um, because you're, so because chemo targets, uh, rapidly growing cells, your ovaries um. are like part 
you know, because you're producing eggs. So it would, it could go target there. Yeah. Right. So if it's shut down, it's not attacking. It doesn't need to go there. Okay. Exactly. That's it, like the methodology behind it. Yeah, got it. The thinking. And you wanted to preserve your ovaries in a way that we could naturally have children. Yeah. It was another thing too, because I think, right. you know, we also were unclear on the IVF and, and the money that was involved with, the, I mean, there's still money involved with that. Like, yeah. And so, you know, we were trying to, if we could still have a kid naturally, like we, we wanted to, yeah. to have that option to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and that drug was just like a monthly injection and basically what it is, which is weird, is it just, it like injects this thing into you that slowly releases over a month. So yeah, basically I was like slammed into menopause um, and even worse. So there's like crazy side effects that come from that, like insane hot flashes, like sweating where I'm visibly have like water droplets on me. And I, and like, I would have them, like I would have these hot flashes, like 10 to 15 times a day like waterfall and the way and the way that they start is you feel like you're gonna have a panic attack like you can't breathe for like 30 seconds and then that goes away and then you have like an insane like hot flash and prickles and like whatever night sweating so that's like one thing but it also um because you're not making estrogen it kind of opens up that area to like infections and chemo also does that it lowers your immune system so because of like the combination of all these things happening i got a really bad uti one day where i was at home alone it came on super fast and it was like horrifying like i went to the washroom and it was like blood and like chunks i don't know what it was like pus or like flesh like i don't know what the fuck was happening just tell them tell them everything yeah <laughs> but like some shit was going on i was like okay this is really bad i was in like so much pain felt like i had to pee like crazy wouldn't go away so I like had to like call my doctor and get a prescription over the phone. Avery was golfing, I think. Oh, so great. I had to do wow. all this wow. on my own. Wow, this guy went golfing. <laughs> it's fine. It's that fine. It's just I remember fuck. hobbling to the like pharmacy like down the street and like then sitting in there. They didn't have it ready. I had to wait. I was like, oh my God. Like I literally feel I'm going to piss my pants like on the floor in this place. Like I need to get out of here. So I like got the medication, came home and took it. And she, my doctor actually prescribed me like the wrong one, oh which <laughs> so it worked like it worked. It just wasn't like a long acting antibiotic. Uh, it was more of just like treat it right now. But my my and that this was my family doctor. So my like cancer doctors were like, oh, yeah, we would have prescribed you something else. Like so basically it like it definitely cured it. Um, but I think I was kind of having reoccurring like UTIs for a while. They never got that bad, but like it was just like not really solving itself. And then I was having major anxiety because when you start researching about UTIs, you go down this whole rabbit hole of like, well, you can't keep taking antibiotics because then like your body will become resistant and then like you'll just keep getting them forever. And there's like stories of people just getting UTIs forever their whole life. And I'm like, oh my God, like literally this is like horrifying. So um, yeah, so eventually I I was like doing a lot of UTI tests and nothing was coming up on them. It was like showing that I w- didn't have any bacteria or whatever. So I was like, what is going on? Because I still on a daily basis felt like extreme discomfort. Like it felt like I had to pee all the time for this last month. It was mu- like, and I can't really explain. Like, like five to six months. Mm-hmm. 
And I can't really ex- – like, this was the worst thing that happened in the whole cancer experience for sure because I, I can't explain what it's like to be in that much, like, physical discomfort. You literally can't live your life. Like, I, I started to really empathize with people that deal with, like, chronic pain and stuff because – I couldn't, like, deal. Like, I'm not, like, I, I've never, like, c- contemplated suicide or anything like that in my, like, normal life. But I remember there was days where I was just, like, I, like, can't do, like, if I have to deal with this, like, I can't. Like, yeah. I will, I need to just die because I cannot deal with this. So, I was going through all of that. And then Avery <laughs> was dealing with uh, lack of <laughs> sexual attention. <laughs> And lack of cum. I had no cum. Was completely fucked up, and yeah. So, but you were so it was it was actually mind boggling because she had been so strong and like resilient through everything else, and then this just like this sequence of like me with my infertility and then her with the UTIs and the and the drug like that just toppled us all of a sudden it was like there was we were living with the real side effects of i mean i wasn't and i mean i I was living with something else but you were living with the real side effects for the first time of of the chemo and it was the first time that it felt like it really actually did uproot something that was very stable and good in our lives yeah that was still in our control throughout the whole thing it was a major point of contention for us because like I'm sure I was insufferable because I couldn't stop talking about it. Like every single day, I was my, just talking my, about how much pain. My bladder, I was in. my bladder, yeah. And I couldn't. I mean, the the worst thing about it is that I I wasn't I couldn't get diagnosed with anything. Like I went to a urologist. I literally had a camera up my pee hole to like see if anything was wrong. Everything looked completely normal. He was just like, "Oh, the medical system can't do anything for you. You have just like skin sensitivity inside your bladder." Yeah, go go see a natural path. Yeah, maybe they'll figure it out. Yeah. No, no one had any. It was crazy. No one had any answers, and we were like. Other people must have gone through this, yeah, right? Yeah, I couldn't and, find and, anything. Like it was super. I think it was just like really uncommon or something. Like some weird, just like a bizarre side reaction. Of this drug, yeah, exactly. So I and I could t- like I stopped like eating everything because every single thing I ate would like make it feel worse. And like sugar in particular, yeah, sugar. But like I felt like I was in a prison because I couldn't like I couldn't do anything fun. Obviously, I couldn't like drink or like let loose in any way. And I'm just like constantly in pain. Um, and another thing that was I was experiencing was because I was on this medication that like puts you into menopause I was literally experiencing like vaginal atrophy which is like where your vagina like dies and like literally it felt like just dust and like cobwebs like that's how I would like mentally visualize it and that was the side effect from that drug from that from the drug that shuts you over yeah exactly and even just like mentally and emotionally I was like feeling like just like less like a woman you know and it's weird how much your femininity is like hinged on your hormones but like your estrogen it's literally like all it is is your estrogen and uh I remember just feeling like I didn't even like know myself anymore like it was like a real mind fuck like it was so weird but so that was like I was thinking about that a lot I was like yeah, this is like, I don't like this. Like, this is like really weird. I like don't feel like a woman. So I'm like dealing with all of this. It's like mental, it's physical, it's like everything. And so I wasn't in the best place to be 
having sex. I was also just really paranoid that having sex would like, give me another UTI. Mm. Were you guys having sex throughout everything until this happened? Yeah, I think like pretty normally. I mean, yeah, like as much as you would like yeah. want to have sex. Like, right. you know, obviously after the surgery and stuff, like you couldn't have sex. And like even the initial diagnosis, we were all, you know, you're, you're shocked. But yeah, like it was still something that we could like rely on. Like we had yeah. a good, healthy, strong sex life. And like that, it, it was just so many things were being changed and, and like I said, like uprooted. And, and that was sort of like something that I took for granted. And maybe you took for granted was just that like the sex was a big part of our relationship and a part of our closeness. And like, even just like touching and like back scratching and like, you know, foreplay, it, it all ties into it of how you interact together as a mm -hmm. couple. Right. Like, we'd be, you know, just watching movies and cuddling and stuff. And then all of a sudden it was like this, what I call, it was like an emotional and like physical, sexual, sensual faucet that, you know, I would, you turn on and it was like that part of you is, is, is part of who you are. And it's mm -hmm. like part of um, the relationship. And when that was not present for probably like three months yeah. which which in retrospect is like it was bro like come on three months <laughs> well, i remember you asking me the first time we sat down you were like so like how long without sex like do you think avery started like freaking out or whatever and i was like yeah i literally think it was like a weeks like it was like two weeks or and something Avery's like, it was mine yeah no for <laughs> once i'll concede you were right on that timeline yeah. it was probably like two weeks or at least i just thought that like there Wait, was so it was just two weeks no 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 like i no no no. i we went three months without having okay sex. <laughs> but like by you... by week two or three or four probably uh, two i was like hey what's going on here like like can we have sex or like <laughs> you know is 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 there sex in the future are we going to attempt sex <laughs> Where's the sex is basically how I was. So I think what's interesting about this is that me and him were kind of going through the same thing, but but differently, because I was thinking this physical experience that I'm having is my reality. It's never going to end. I'm just like stuck like this forever. I don't know how I'm going to survive. <laughs> and Avery was thinking, this is my reality. I'm never going to have sex again. <laughs> I'm just a <laughs> celibate man. How will I survive? And we're going to break up because you basically told me that we would break up if, if, if we didn't have no sex, sex again. If there was no sex forever? Yeah. yeah, maybe. Like, But that really, that really, and I know that it was just like a connection thing. It's like you were just like really it wanted wasn't to just, connect. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't just sex. sex. But for me, that like really mind fucked me because I was going through all of this and then I started thinking like, oh, like. My only worth is like sex. Oh, like great. what if something happens to me? What if I'm like permanently damaged and I can't have sex? Like then I'm also alone because I can't, you know, you're because you can't deal with that. So it was it's, complex. <laughs> look, it's I, like it seems like when we talk about it and like I feel like a little shame and guilt around it because it, it is like, come on, bro. Like it's not. You talk to your therapist about it a lot. A lot. I talked to my therapist <laughs> about it a lot. I talked about how to bring it up. I talked about how to not seem like I was just some shitty dude. Like, it, but it it wasn't just the sex. It was just like how we would feel close to each other and 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 be so strong in our relationship. And like we fit together good, you know, like it's. We t I took it for granted. I feel like for a long 
time because it's such a natural thing. It's something that, you know, you took for granted that you had done for your whole adult life and specifically like with your partner of five, six years. And I just started feeling like starved of this connectivity and it like, yeah, it challenged me like severely. Yeah. Cause so this is the interesting part about you guys being in a relationship while you're going through this, because if we didn't know Des and we didn't know the whole story, it is very understandable that for three months of not having sex and losing the connection and all of that is a very real problem that you're dealing with. It's just that in the context of her problems, it becomes this awkward thing to have to discuss. So it's just an interesting conversation from the perspective of like you're in a relationship and both of you have valid issues you're dealing with, one of which is kind of overshadowing the other. Yeah, and it wasn't like I didn't understand what you were going through. And it wasn't that I couldn't like, like I obviously wasn't going to like leave you if we couldn't have sex. I think I was yeah. just trying to say that like it was it was really important to me that like you knew that it was something that I needed yeah, and something right. that like I valued in our relationship. And I just felt like you didn't need it in the same way that I did because obviously well, you couldn't. Generally, I also don't need it like you do. Hey, <laughs> but I, but this I is, feel like- let's, this, That's a different podcast, okay? We're not shaming you for that. But I do think that this experience like made me value it more than I did before, like mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, there was a lot to it. Like there was- okay so there was the drug there was also like you know you had some hair loss like you lost your eyebrows and your eyelashes and you felt like you were a dusty museum down there (laughs) but meanwhile i'm like this like pent-up horny devil who is now infertile and also like has some self-loathing about that and like i'm seeing you and you think you're this like disgusting creature golem of a woman (laughs) but to me you're still like the hottest thing in the world and like i'm just like Oh, like when are when are we gonna get back to normal? Because at this time, it was now it was like nine months down the line of everything. Yeah, and I was starting to become a little bit more um, sensitive to my needs mm-hmm. after that long period of putting you at uh, above all and and everything we were going through above all, and also my diagnosis or my issues sort of took a little bit away from that and i i was thinking about me and stuff so there was like this like shift in the needs and it was irritating because it just like didn't make sense and it just like didn't it didn't make sense why you had it it didn't make sense what would stop it when it would go away and then even when we did start having sex because you were like okay i'm gonna like make the effort or you know he's gonna die you know you then had another side effect of not being able to fully have an orgasm oh yeah which was even more infuriating (laughs) to me where it was like we finally get to have sex and now i can't even help you come like fuck like (laughs) yeah poor poor me (laughs) can you believe it (laughs) i think i also was feeling a little bit of like resentment probably because Avery has a history of dealing with people with medical issues. And I feel like because of that, he's maybe a little like desensitized to it. Yeah. Like so my family, immediate yeah, family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I already knew that. And like, I could tell that just by like me always talking about it, like I was just desperate for someone to like validate what I was going through because I was completely alone and I couldn't make someone understand what it was like and how bad it was. And I just kind of felt like because of his history, it, he kind of would just like dismiss it. So, and like, 
I don't blame you. It's I think the hardest thing in the world is to try to understand someone else's like physical pain. Like it's mm-hmm. impossible. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I think I was also just like feeling that like resentment too. But I don't know. We got through it. We like rented a, a like a beach house like two hours away and went in COVID because we couldn't like actually go anywhere or anything. And uh, yeah, I remember it being like really awkward because I felt like I was on like a first date or something again mm-hmm. because I, I don't know. It was like, yeah, also, but also because we haven't had sex in like three months, I feel like there was like a weird connection like missing. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, what do we even talk about? Like we're on a first date. Like, I don't know. This is so weird and awkward. <laughs> is that how you felt, Avery? Um, I don't know. I, it was really special to, for us to get away because, mm-hmm. like, you know, there's no travel in this time. And mm-hmm. also travel was a big part of our relationship and mm-hmm. having new experiences. So just to, like, drive, like, two hours out of the city and have our own place. And we live with roommates, so we're never, like, alone. Right. Um, that was really, like, it was special to me. And I, I – was that the first time that we had had sex? Like, in, I mean, in my memory. I yeah. don't know if it actually was. But. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more cinematic, so let's do it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, I – I remember we were like, what should we do? What should we watch? So we like, there was two couches. So we smushed them together, <laughs> made what we call the couch house. And then we just like hung out and like ate cheese in it and chocolate and, and hung out. And I think we even had some wine. Yeah, like we were like probably. trying to have a breakthrough. And then we just like put on the notebook, which like if you've just been <laughs> wow. through a really traumatic uh, relationship experience that uh, where one of your livelihoods is threatened uh, and the other partner might uh, might die. Um, it's a really tough movie to get through, <laughs> but yeah, we just watched that movie and we just fucking bawled like, together. Like, like, yeah, just cried. It was just like yeah, the yeah, it was the culmination of everything. <laughs> was the Notebook, and we just watched that movie and we just cried. And I was just like, I love you so much. Like I was so worried about losing you, and and like we just. Yeah, we just we had a, a a tender moment, and we had had lots of moments throughout it. But you have to remove yourself from everything and mm-hmm. and take some time and watch, just watch the fucking Notebook, and you know you'll. We were just finally like being open about like all the frustrations and things that we were having around yeah. around the sex and the lack of connection and intimacy and mm-hmm. I think I was starting to feel a bit better, like a little bit better, even yeah. though I still to this day like. The, it will flare up and never like it's like to to an extreme low compared to what it was at but like i think i was starting to feel a little a, maybe a tiny bit better at that time yeah i mean I, the other thing like okay it wasn't just sex it was intimacy and i mm-hmm. wanted to say that before is like that was also what i what i realized too was that i was missing was just like the the touching and the kissing and like yeah because like we we weren't doing that also i was in a mental prison yeah my day-to-day was waking up and thinking like how am i going to survive this day it wasn't like i couldn't think about someone else yeah needs you know so after that then yeah you started feeling a little bit better it was like the the drug was wearing off well i stopped taking it early i was supposed to take it for like the whole chemo cycle and I, after two months, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Cause- yeah. And your fertility doctor was like, I don't think you need to be on this. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, then that took like another six months to get out of your system. Mm-hmm. And then you were on a heart medication because of the chemo that you had to be on. And that was what was blocking you from having an orgasm yeah which you found out i didn't realize it was that i thought it was just like yeah all randomly she just like because what were you taking that heart medication for 
So one of the side effects of Herceptin is that it can affect your heart. It's pretty common. Like 50% of people will get like a heart um, complication from it. And Herceptin is what they give you in tandem with chemo when you mm-hmm. when you have yeah. um, like the, the positive HER. Yes, yeah. the yeah, HER2. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they refer you to a cardiologist to like monitor that. And it did end up having like affecting my heart. So they put me on for like a year. I was on this heart medication. I'm off of it now. But blood thinner, right? No, it's not a blood thinner. I don't know exactly what it, what it does, but, um, so I was on that and I was having just like weird, like very like, and I, I've always been, sorry if it's TMI, but like, I haven't really had problems like orgasming. It's always been pretty easy for me. Um, but I just want to point out that like you thinking that this is the TMI part (laughs) of the discussion is like how often you orgasm. It's wild, but (laughs) it just shows you though, like the the taboo around. around Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So yeah, like I'm lucky. It's been always very easy for me. But then yeah, like during all of this, it was just like we. And then I would started to like be able to have them again, but then they would just be like really weird and like incomplete, and like I would have to like use my vibrator for like. 10 like 10 minutes and be like what is going on like this is so weird i'm just having like 10 half orgasms like very yeah. um we'd have sex and then the the vibrator would have to come into play like <laughs> yeah. as if as if poor it wasn't Avery. again this is really the takeaway from this <laughs> again poor yeah. me yeah. yeah yeah and then i was like okay well it's it's definitely just like from that hormone drug or like the, you know when I stopped doing chemo I had to start another um, hormone drug that I'm still on but I was like it's definitely from that or something and then I kind of just like came to terms with it and then I went off the heart medication and everything like went back to normal and I was like oh that's so weird like it was from that and it was the best day of my fucking life <laughs> <laughs> it's still not like it's still not completely normal because I still deal with the bladder stuff a bit and it's more now, like, um, if I eat certain foods, like, it'll flare up and then it affects sex, too. Like, it's mm-hmm. all just kind of, like, intermingled down there, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. But, so, how long have you been off chemo? Like, when did you finish that? So, I finished it in November 2020. So, after that, I had to do radiation. So, radiation was every day for a month. You have to go. And basically, they just, like, zap radiation into your boob for two minutes a day. <laughs> so I had to go do that for a month. So I did that in January of, like, 2021. And then after that, they put you on, like, a hormonal drug. So it's a similar thing to the one I was on before where it just – it controls your estrogen. But instead of, like, stopping your estrogen production, it basically goes in and collects your estrogen and, like, deposits it into your uterus, which is really weird. Mm-hmm. So people can actually – it actually puts you at a higher risk for, like, um, like uterine cancer because – Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because um, it's doing that, but it's way better. Like, I barely feel side effects on it. How um, long do you have to be on it? The normal – it's, like, either five to ten years is what they say. I think five years is most common. But they – you can like stop it to have kids because if you have kids on it, like it'll like give it have like birth defects. So you can stop and have kids. Like I'm at almost at my two year mark. So this is like when the oncologist said that I could stop if I wanted to start. Why why do you need to take it? Like what does it do? So because my cancer was estrogen positive, uh, right? Yes. It it like basically 
collect it stops estrogen from circulating around my body Mm -hmm. and you have all your hair back i mean you had your hair the whole time yeah but you have eyebrows and (laughs) eyelashes have grown back yeah yeah (laughs) how long did that take um i don't think it was very long actually i think like right after i stopped doing the chemo it pretty much like grew back in that's great yeah yeah and and your hair you you really i mean it got thinner but you you had a i lost like like this hair down here like right at the bottom of my like neck i lost all this hair so like it's shorter because the cold cap didn't reach there yeah so So you can see like it's a lot shorter than all my other hair but it was like none and then it was just like tiny little hairs for a while and it like (laughs) came out like a different color well so there's like a thing called chemo curl is when you like lose all your hair from chemo it a lot of the time it grows back darker and curly which is so weird but and like this hair did it's like darker and curlier than my hair you know what also is crazy about chemo that i didn't know is that like chemo is from like a naturally occurring plant i don't think all of it but mine specifically yeah hers yeah was yeah it's from what it's some tree Tree bark it's tree bark yeah what i know they would like use it as a poison because technically it is like a poison that's killing certain types of cells i guess yeah yeah okay rapidly growing but yeah i always i always thought that it was some Mm man-made and i'm sure it is i'm sure it's not just like you boil some tree bark and there's your chemo but yeah uh, (laughs) that's what they're doing but it was yeah Yeah. it, it was sort of interesting to think about it in that way that it is coming from like a natural substance because Mm-hmm. You think of chemo as just like you're drinking Lysol. It something. like made me feel better in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that, though, are you, have you changed anything about, because like, I guess it's really nerve wracking that you don't actually know yeah. why you got um, cancer, meaning that it's probably environmental. So like, what are some things, did you change anything? Yeah. I mean, r- when I got diagnosed, I changed basically everything mm-hmm. <laughs> that I was doing. We like immediately started eating organic. We like literally went to the grocery store, like I think the same day as like I got diagnosed and we like fully just started eating organic. I we like we went crazy for a while, like super healthy, like didn't eat out. I stopped eating gluten, which actually is crazy. Through that, I found out that I'm like gluten intolerant and I was having all these stomach issues and it like completely resolved them. So that was a nice thing that happened. Um <laughs> A positive. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I like switched all my shampoos and stuff to like natural shampoos, all my makeup. No deodorant. I didn't drink for probably a year or something, like for a while, which is hard. Yeah, no deodorant. I um and like those things, that's I think that's what's hard to deal with just on like a longevity basis, is like how much do I need to restrict myself? Like, I still need to live my life. Right. I've returned back to normal in a lot of ways. Like, I eat, you know, we probably eat healthier than maybe we did before. Yeah. But, um, but you know, I still eat, like, I still eat out and I don't watch it, like, that cr- crazy. I, like, drink again, you know, and... I use normal makeup again, like some of it. Like I, I feel like I've just kind of gone back like halfway, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because I do think like swinging to one extreme, like for me, that was just like not something that I could keep up for mm-hmm. an extended period of time. And it's about like quality of life too. Like you still want to be able to live your life and feel free because that was really hard. Like restricting myself constantly. I just felt like I was in a prison. I would watch everyone around me just like living their lives normally. And I didn't feel like I could do that. So, yeah, I feel like it's just kind of like 
Yeah, that was a big thing for you. Yeah, was, that was like even so just being hard. around other people and like seeing them, right. you know, like book their weddings and yeah, like make plans, make plans. Yeah, like your life just stops. You can't do anything because you're just like now in the system of like getting treatment. So that was really hard to deal with, especially at our age too, because you know, like it's a big time in people's lives. People are like doing a lot of things and traveling and working and like whatever. But now you guys are doing a lot of things because then you went and traveled and then you got engaged. So you <laughs> yes. did all the things. <laughs> exactly. It's true. It's so hard to like see out of your situation when you're in it. Like of you course. just think that it's going to be like your reality. But everything has pretty much gone back to normal. And I do feel like – like I was thinking about it today because I was like reviewing everything that we had talked about and stuff before and like it's just crazy because I do feel like in a lot of ways I'm probably a different person Mm -hmm. than I was before I know that I'm better at managing my stress that's like number one (laughs) I think we're both more sympathetic to people who are going through you know health um battles yeah uh, regardless of their age but specifically young people I mean we felt like the reason we're doing this is because we felt like um, these stories aren't out there. Right. They should be. I think it's probably more common than anyone would hope uh, that it was to be, you know, to get diagnosed with cancer in your twenties. Um, you know, testicular and breast cancer are the most are the most common for young people, and it it impacts you in a, in a lot of ways. And when we were trying to find support, and like I didn't find any support. Like I didn't find any guys going through a they the their partner having breast cancer and b having infertility issues like it's just not something that you want to think about when you're when you're this age or that you want to deal with and you you feel like you're kind of like uh, a weight on everyone that you tell and, and oh yeah for sure you know and like you don't want to do that but the reality is is like i, I don't know i hope but i i think that our generation we're gonna see a lot a lot of this and i don't know why and i i wish it wasn't the case but like these rates are going up not down so mm-hmm. it's like we should talk about this more and, and young people should be aware of this more because even though you waited you know four months longer than you probably should have and we're lucky that that wasn't detrimental in that delay but like we didn't you didn't take it as seriously in the beginning you know i didn't take it as seriously and also like you're not you you don't get access to mammograms until you're like 50 years old so it's like if anything happens up to age 50 like you better find it on your own or else you know it could get really bad so like it's important to be aware of that and just be like checking you know yeah checking and on it and advocate for yourself Mm -hmm. that was the biggest thing that we learned i feel like is that like nobody is gonna advocate for you no one is gonna push you into the best care except for yourself and maybe your partner and it's hard like you know you have you have you have to tell as many people and we have to tell these stories because when people are going to go through this there might be a reluctance or the feeling of it's just easier to follow the system of you know of of medical experiences and we're talking about being in one of the most blessed countries to have this in mm-hmm. like you know the stories we're going to hear from all over the world are going to be drastically different right and 
I think the the same rings true where we're lucky that we could even get a second opinion and that we could right. get this free healthcare like that alone is a privilege. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm sure whatever position you're in, you want to hear that you need to take action for your for your health. And I think it goes with everything. Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't have if it wasn't for you. So yeah. You helped me in that way. Well, you sure. couldn't. You couldn't think. No, exactly. It was just I was so overwhelmed. Yeah, you weren't in a position where you were just going to jump into it. You mm-hmm. needed someone in your corner who, who would go out and do that. And we don't have our family is all over the country, so like it's yeah. just us here, and like yeah, we didn't have our our parents to. My mom lean came on. for for a while to just help, like during when I was in chemo. Yeah. But, yeah. But yeah, that's another thing, right? Is like, you know, being a, being abroad or without your family, like it's it's tough. Like there's lots of stories of people doing this alone who don't have partners and mm-hmm. I just I don't know how they do it, but they Yeah. They do. Mm-hmm. But I think that um it would be great to see more support groups. Like I really love um because where did your like the the gloves and the the feet like freezing things, where did those end up? So, um I got those from a Facebook group and then I passed it on to someone else. So it was someone that I met in the clinic because when you're going like weekly, you see the same people right. that are also getting treatment. So, and it's, it's funny because you can kind of like spot the new people and you know, the, yeah. the more seasoned people. So there was one girl that I, um, she was newer. So I, I kind of started talking to her on one of her first appointments and then I ended up passing on the gloves and the feet things to her. But yeah, like, that that support group was really like I would recommend anyone that's going through this. It's it's specifically for young women. And I think they classify that up to like 45 or something. It's not like um 30, like 30s. But it's uh it's called Rethink. And it is they have a lot of initiatives, but like one of their main things is a Facebook group. And it's a closed Facebook group. So you have to like send them a message or something to like get into it. Um, but they let you in if you're, I don't, I didn't have to like give any proof or anything. I think they just want to like make sure you're a real person. Mm -hmm. Um, but in there, and it's also like, I do feel like it's important to be ready to go into those support groups because you're going to see a lot of people dumping their feelings, you know, in their experiences. So like it's a, and it's a lot of people obviously looking for answers to problems. So they're, you know, it's, it can be kind of heavy, I guess. Um, but it also is an amazing resource to just like connect with other people that are like going through the same thing and find answers to things. You know, if you're experiencing something, chances are there's someone in there that also is going through the same thing. So yeah. that was like a that was a really huge one. And I did a lot of other support groups um, too. Well, like to your point about like you don't know how people do it alone. Like you guys had each other and you still found so much value in support groups. Mm -hmm. And I think along the lines of like us doing this talk, it's about like creating community and like in general a community awareness of what happens before, during, after cancer and how like people can be there for each other. But also how to not be a burden on somebody who is going through cancer Mm -hmm. and how to actually provide support. I think that's an important point because I think for me, the one thing that like I really walked away with and like learned that I could give any advice to someone that's like supporting someone in this situation is that you 
a lot of times you don't need like an answer to a problem. You, the biggest thing is just feeling validated <laughs> because if you don't feel validated, you feel very alone. And I think just someone acknowledging like, oh yes, you're going through something very hard. And like, I'm here for you if you need anything is, is sometimes more effective than like, how can I solve this problem for you? Um, yeah. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> that was me for like a lot of things. No, I mean, but you did so many amazing things for me. I couldn't have gone through it without you. But like, that was just the hardest thing for me to deal with was going through something and feeling like it's it's like made up or it's fake because no one else is experiencing it except for me. You yeah. Know? But also your personality is the type that if she's going through something, you want to solve that for her. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like, sometimes you're aware of the fact that like maybe the solution just doesn't exist right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I'm someone who's like there there is there's always a yes to this. Mm-hmm. There's always a correct mm-hmm. solve. Mm-hmm. You know, if if a problem started, something caused it and it should be able to be remedied. Was sort of my mindset throughout the mm-hmm. whole thing. Even like f- trying to figure out like what caused the cancer. Like that was I ruminated on that for months. I still think about it. Like <laughs> what caused this? And the answer is you're never going to know. Yeah, and sure. it's probably irrelevant to the overall quality of your life because that's not something that you need to know to live happily. So, yeah. and to get and to get through it. But for 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 me, I found that lots of people, specifically like my male friends, like how they gave support was all very different. Like one of my friends was very prompt on calling me a lot, and I loved that. That was like what I needed, you know, just checking in. And and I would tell him that there were certain appointments for her coming up, and that friend would just. Be like, hey, how'd this appointment go? Or what's the news? You know, another friend like couldn't really be there in, in that way, or was, but like wouldn't dig deep enough. But I was, we were struggling with some of the finances of this, and they offered to help, and like that was equally as important and huge, and was like really clutch uh, to help us out. And you know, there's different ways that you can you can be there. Like, even if you just want to buy them someone dinner or like what, whatever, like just make yeah. someone's life a little easier and show you're thinking about them. Like that's mm-hmm. the best way to support. It's, it's not, you know, or, or connections like, you know, what my cousin did, right. Like with the, the oncologist that, you yeah. knew. like it, 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 every bit helps to Desiree's point. It doesn't need to be solving or figuring out uh, an answer to a problem. It can just be saying, "Hey, I'm I'm here for you in this way, and this is yeah. my capacity for being here for you." Yeah, you know. Yeah, I really love what you said at the start about like tell everyone. Yeah, because you don't know what kind of support you're going to be able to have, and even just in the like last little bit of us ha- talking to people about this podcast, the amount of people that were like, "No, I know somebody," or "I went through it," and like the best example is somebody I spoke with recently. He's an older. Um, older man and he said um, middle aged I don't want to offend him Um, (laughs) he basically said that he was going through cancer and he didn't like really know who to turn to like he was just kind of going through it and he went he he liked to watch hockey a lot so he was at a hockey game and a coach came up to him and said like I heard um, you know what you're dealing with and then shook his hand and said like welcome to the club Mm. and he was like he felt like this huge weight lifted off him because he was like, oh, I'm not alone. Like there's a whole community of people on the other side of this. Um, And I just feel like we should do a better job of telling people that there is another side of this before they even get there. Yeah. I mean, one of the first things that we did when she got diagnosed was go to a bookstore. 
because we were just like, I wanted to read anything that could mm. provide answers, again, answers. Yeah. But I, I was looking for some kind of guide on yeah. how to get through this. And it was crazy because there was nothing in terms of the the dealing with it, the emotions. There was lots of like- um, Cookbooks. Cookbooks, yeah. <laughs> and like, uh, you know, how to change your style of mental living to help you with your cancer diagnosis yeah. or how to accept that you're, uh, you might die, like things like that. But it wasn't, there wasn't anything that was just like something that I could- well, there's nothing that was for like, like caregivers or like support people. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. There was mm -hmm. lots for people who, who had it, but yeah, to find a community. But there also for, wasn't really like a firsthand like experience type of right. content, you know? It was just like – and also just being young, like again, that – there's there's really not much out there for that. And it really can make you feel alone, just, yeah. just the young – part like, of it even the people who like like when we did the cold caps like i had to someone like got on a zoom it was super nice of them uh like a, a husband who had like done this for his wife but you know he's like 55 years old like right you know it wasn't like there was another 29 year old guy who's like yo bro fuck here this is what you do <laughs> yeah. you wrap this shit they're they're like kids were like screaming in the back so there's just this little like and i mean that on its own is its own tragedy and and stuff of course and, um but yeah, I think you feel like you have this tragedy bomb that you're carrying with you at all times. And whoever you tell, boom, here's my tragedy. Yeah. Like, f how are you going to react to that? Some people are, you can just see the energy being drained out of them while you tell them this. <laughs> yeah. Whereas other people, you can see the love coming into them and that right. they just want to like squeeze you. Um, but, you know, you don't need to feel guilty about that, that you're, you are dropping this trauma bomb. I, I trauma bomb everybody like i was messaging people that like i hadn't talked to in like literally 20 years like people i went to like daycare with and i was like hey i heard you're a doctor now motherfucker like what what goes on here like listen to this shit like help me you know and like that's so good yeah and you're, you're desperate in the beginning you're so desperate in the beginning you don't know what to do you're just you're just free falling um but just yell the whole way down yeah because <laughs> someone will hear you and someone will push you to you know make a more informed or, or better decision or give you some kind of comfort yeah for sure I think for me one of the ways that I dealt with like feeling alone and this is definitely not for everyone and it was definitely a coping mechanism at the time because in hindsight like it's funny I don't know if I would do it the same but um I like posted a lot on social media so but it, it was actually re a really great way to kind of keep people in the loop with what was going on in my treatment without having to constantly like be texting individual people all the time about it because you don't really want to talk about it all the time. You know, yeah. like you have to relive those experiences every time you talk about it to some extent. So it was nice to kind of have an outlet to just like share what was going on with people um, without having to constantly talk about it. Um, yeah. I honestly, as a person who was, like, seeing your social posts, I found it really, like, gr like it was great from my perspective because, like, okay, I know what's going on with you. Like, I can kind of, like, you were both emotional and, like, straightforward about what you were dealing with. It was kind of like, okay, great. I don't have to ask you about this. Like, mm -hmm. I just now know where you're at and, yeah. like, I can just see you. We can, like, work together. We can hang out and I don't have to just be like, so the appointment of the blah, blah, you know, like, yeah. we can just talk about it. Like, how are you feeling? What's going on? Yeah, you know? exactly. Well, I think we've been talking for like three hours. <laughs> yeah. Oh my so I think we should wrap it up. I feel like we just scratched the surface on like a lot of it. You know, there's so many other 
experiences. There's just so much in the like testing and treatment portion that it's like too much to even like talk about. But we'll use this entire series to explore. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should end on that note. Yeah. All right, guys. Bye.